This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 118. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lom Ramayasha, and today we're going on a mystical adventure into the world of Akira Toriyama's shonen classic, Dragon Ball. This has been a long time coming. Us doing a retrospective on one of those formative manga from our childhoods and our fandom. And we have some great guests on to talk about the series with us. We've got our good friend Bomber coming on to share his thoughts on reading the series pretty much for the first time. And we've got Joey Weiser, returning guest, author of Merman and Ghost Talk, and a ton of other great comics who shares his thoughts as an artist from an artist's perspective on Dragon Ball, Toriyama's art and storytelling, and how it's inspired his work. It was a fantastic conversation, and it went on for a long, long time, because we can't stop ourselves when it comes to talking about Dragon Ball. In fact, we went on so long, we couldn't even answer the Q&As we got for this episode, so we had to record an entire nutter podcast to discuss them. And you'll get to listen to that in the coming weeks but for now you can enjoy our four hour epic on dragon ball yeah so so look forward to at least uh six hours of dragon ball content all together uh we dragon ball is something that uh we constant we basically find any excuse to talk about on the show you know between uh the other podcasts and uh, all the other times we talked about dragon ball on the show Remember when we hijacked the Manga Machinations podcast for 30 minutes just talking about Dragon Ball? Yeah, I do remember that. That was that was, that was fun. <laughs> and remember that entire podcast we uh, we dedicated to Dragon Ball Super? Yeah, that was one of the most fun podcasts I had ever edited. And definitely listen to that too if you want a discussion of material post the original Dragon Ball manga. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of fun recording this discussion in particular, though listening back to it, I can't help but feel like uh, we, we we may have gotten too hung up on trying to cover every single arc, which I feel, I feel like in the future that may not be feasible for like every long series we cover on the show. Dragon Ball also has a lot more arcs, actually, when you think about it. Like, I think Bleach and Arto have like half the arcs, or at least you can lump like multiple different arts quote-unquote together into one story but with dragon ball like every part of that story is just so memorable like we have to talk about it and one thing that i did find interesting though is that we definitely spend more time talking about early dragon ball than we did later dragon ball partially because you know as we were going on we did want to hurry through and finish the podcast since it was getting long but also i think there's just a lot about the early parts that are really special that we really wanted to discuss and highlight mm-hmm I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. We we did kind of have to rush through those uh, later arcs a bit. But I mean, if, if we, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because we spent four, uh, over four hours recording. But if we had more time, <laughs> we we could have, we, we, I think we could have said more about those later arcs. But hey, you know what? I'm, I'm sure this isn't the last time we'll talk about Dragon Ball. If there are any, if there, if there are any arcs in the series that you feel like we didn't discuss as much as we should have, maybe, maybe we'll cover them on the show at some point, or maybe we'll talk about Dragon Ball again at some point, I don't know. Uh, we'll figure something out, but 
Yeah, I mean, uh, outside of that, this I still thought this was a really good discussion, and I can't wait for people to listen to it. Definitely. But uh, I think we don't have anything to say at the top of the show, so I guess we should just, I think we should just head right into it. Yeah, climb on board, because adventure doesn't wake. A fantastic journey waits for you, filled with thrilling mystery! Okay, parfait. We gotta heed the call of the magic Dragon Ball manga. What a great adventure this will be. So climb on board, because the podcast doesn't wait. A fantastic discussion for your dreams. A thrilling retrospective of whimsy. (laughs) Amazing. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to give you clean audio and not crack up while you were in the middle of that. (laughs) Yeah, see, I was was waiting in anticipation, so I was on the edge of my seat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, so this is our long-awaited Dragon Ball podcast. And uh, boy, you know, it took a lot to get here, but I'm glad we're finally here. Oh yeah, a lot of different rescheduling and delays, but finally, our long-awaited Dragon Ball podcast is here. 
a little bit late, but meant to coincide and celebrate the 35th anniversary of the original Dragon Ball manga, which first debuted in Weekly Shonen Jump November 20th, 1984. Oh, wow. Huh. A whole week after I was born, which is amazing to keep thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) I am officially older than Dragon Ball, everybody. I just want you all to know that. (laughs) Same. It was a year after I was born, so, yeah. Not only did Dragon Ball start a decade before I I was born, but it ended six months before I was born. Wow. (laughs) The series is older than me in every respect. I think Dragon Ball ended two years after I was born, so... Oof. Okay. I knew I was going to be the oldest guy on this show, but... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we should probably introduce our guest, speaking of. uh, We have from the uh, Shonen Sunday blog, known as the uh, Weekly Shonen Sunday Talkback blog, uh, Bomber D. Rufy, otherwise known as Sakaki or Kiribat on Twitter. How's it going, buddy? It's going good. It's going good. Yeah, we've been rescheduling everything almost felt like we were going through an anime namic arc of our own just (laughs) (laughs) extending and extending we kept powering up and nothing was happening and though here we are and i'm glad i I kept i kept telling you bomber it's okay we'll get this we'll get this all figured out in five minutes i promise (laughs) (laughs) uh but no i'm I'm happy to have you on because uh I, 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 you in particular, you were, you were pretty like familiar with like, you know, everything before Z. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you told me that like you, you hadn't, you basically hadn't explored the, the, the Z portion of the Ziri, uh, of the series. Yes. Since, uh, <laughs> since, since you, uh, since you last saw it on Toonami, like probably a decade ago at this point. Yeah. That, that's true. I actually, I didn't do i didn't do fan subs i didn't i actually on that to add to that i've actually never really seen japanese z oh wow <laughs> I, hmm. i've only watched it on tsunami dubbed i mean i was one of those you know the, around the time it was airing i was like middle school high school something around there so i was one of those guys that was faithfully watching it and everything but i didn't go out my way to like when they did the reruns i didn't go out my way to like find those bootleg tapes or whatever and watch the subs so literally when it ended on tsunami i mean you know i, I guess to be fair i might have watched one or a little bit of it again when it re-ran because obviously it did but I, it wasn't a thing where i like watched the entire series again i pretty much after it ran on tsunami i was done and i've not seen super at all so like that was it for me and t- for dragon ball i did see all of gt like that i did see like <laughs> here and there, but I hadn't seen Z, Z or anything concerning Z since then. But I have the DVDs for the original Dragon Ball, so I have experienced that several times. And this was your first experience going through the entire Dragon Ball manga beginning to end, wasn't it? Well, most of it. I, I did, for the, for this show, I read Z. I read all of Z. But I only got through half of the original since I was like original. I'm already really familiar with it through the anime. I know there are differences. I know I don't want to be attacked by anybody. I know there are differences between the anime and manga. But yeah, I only got through half of it. I mean that that that's totally fair. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And had you read the manga before uh, coming on the podcast? Uh, for n- none. I haven't read any of the manga. But well, no, no. I own like. For I guess there was the original printing that Viz did. I still have like two volumes of that, 
So I did, I guess I did read a little, but not much. Like, most of my Dragon Ball experience was anime. And so that's really cool to have you on, like, to explore, like, your first time, like, really reading, like, uh, the manga uh, and sh- after being, you know, an anime person for, for the most part. Yeah, it's it, it was really a trip. A lot of stuff, rereading it through was like, there was a lot of stuff I could remember, but... I mean, of course, we'll touch more about it in the show, but all I can say really is, like, it was got to go fast. I was really surprised. <laughs> I was really surprised at how much faster everything is, and now and now it's got me wanting to kind of watch Kai. Mm, I definitely have thoughts on Toriyama's pacing as we uh, go on through the show, but uh, before, we, before we go on any further, I do want to introduce our other guest that we have on the show uh, that we had on earlier in the year. You can go listen to their uh, episode, we'll probably link in the show notes there. It was a great episode. I enjoyed having him on so much. We had him on again. Mr. Joey Weiser, author of such comics as uh, Merman and Ghost Hog, as well as a uh, contributor on the One Piece podcast and the host of Toho Yaro. How's it going, Joey? Hey, good. Yeah, I uh, I think with some of your crazy uh, scheduling and whatnot for this episode, I jumped on a little later uh, and... I was able to reread the entire like Dragon Ball section, you know, through the 23rd, 23rd. I always get mixed up on the numbers, uh, Budokai and uh, haven't reread the Z portion of the series in recent history, but I've, I've read it several times and watched it. And I'm very, very familiar with that stuff, too. And that's really awesome because you and Bomber complement uh, each other well then mm-hmm. since Bomber is <laughs> now freshest with the Z half and you're freshest with the OG half. Right. But no, yeah, I'm 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 really happy to have you guys on. Uh I'm I'm just happy to have anyone on because like full disclosure, we asked so many people to come on uh for this podcast in particular, but just man, we just we just couldn't we couldn't figure it out uh at first, but I'm I'm just glad we had somebody on for this episode. <laughs> that's that's interesting to me. You'd think as big as Dragon Ball would be that you know people would be jumping on to be on something like this. Oh, oh people want to be on. Oh, it's just it's scheduling, scheduling oh, is gotcha, just gotcha. awful around the holidays. The problem is we wanted to record about Dragon Ball in early December, uh, when when people would be too busy to do almost anything. So. Uh-huh. And okay. even now in late December, it's very hard to get a hold of people. December is a bad month for podcasting. I I think that's my I think that's my hot take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a bad month for everything <laughs> except for the holidays, I guess. Oh boy, but none of that matters because we're here now and we're going to talk about Dragon Ball, a series that uh, I'm assuming is uh, very near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, jo- Joey, I I hear you in particular are a fan of Toriyama. Is this true? <laughs> this is true yeah uh yeah uh, absolutely one of my favorite artists and comic bookers um yeah i think he's he's fantastic and dragon ball is uh obviously one of his best series <laughs> yeah and i i guess i guess while while you kind of have uh while, while you have center stage here uh joey why don't you tell me how you got into dragon ball yeah it actually sounds like i was kind of a little bit of kind of the same time period but a little bit of the opposite of bomber um when i was first getting into anime and manga uh there wasn't a lot of stuff available in general uh and so i would just kind of like look at stuff on the internet 
uh, that I'd have to go <laughs> out to my dad's office or the university library to use the internet because we didn't have it at home and stuff. And I just like look at fan pages and things like that. And Dragon Ball caught my eye because it looked really cool. I liked the art and everything. And it seemed like it was very popular because there were a lot of pages about it um, kind of on par with like Sailor Moon or something. But yeah, I was definitely kind of confused about like where people were seeing it because it wasn't on TV yet and stuff like that. And and so I kept kind of reading about it online and uh, I'm a little fuzzy on the actual chronology, but I eventually became a member of this like email group that was kind of a proto version of forums where you would email an address and then that email would go out to everyone in the gr- group and then they could reply to that and then their reply would go to everyone in the group and you could have discussions that way. And it was like a Dragon Ball mailing list specifically where people would be talking about Dragon Ball and stuff. And that's where I kind of learned a lot more about the series and stuff. And then it started airing on television. But it was like, I don't remember, it was like really early in the morning or something. And so it was kind of hard to see. And I like didn't watch it all the time. And and I remember kind of being a little like, huh, like maybe a little disappointed by it because I think I didn't quite like the dub was a little cheesy and the music and all that stuff. And and also it was that early science stuff. So, you know, I really wanted to see the part where Trunks was in it and everybody could go super science and all that stuff. So it just was like not quite completely working for me. Uh, but I was still watching it because I had already kind of built up this fandom. Then I went to Chicago Comic-Con um, where there was like anime screening rooms. And in this room, they were showing fan subs, which I didn't know what they were at the time. But like they screened the Dragon Ball 10th anniversary movie. Ooh. And that was where it like really clicked for me because I was able to see it in Japanese and see like the movie looks really good because it's the 10th anniversary movie and stuff and so it looked really nice and i think it also helped that i was like in a room full of people that were like cheering and laughing and stuff and so i was like you know where do you get this i you know i asked the guy that was running it i was like i've been looking for dragon ball and my stores don't carry it and stuff and he was like we'll just go out to the dealer's room and you'll find these guys selling tapes and i was like okay and so i went down and i found yeah fan sub dealers which I bought some like Dragon Ball Z movies because they seemed like self-contained and kind of easy to watch and took those home. And and then I discovered fan subs and and found like my biggest sort of source for fan subs was this guy that I would send periodically like six blank tapes to him. And then he would just fill them up with like four to eight episodes per tape, basically, depending on how much he could cram on one of those tapes and uh, send them back to me. And so I watched basically Frieza through the end of Z with a few gaps here and there based on what was available through fan subs uh, in that way. And and eventually the the series moved to Toonami and I was watching it there, but it was a little bit more of a like hate watch, <laughs> I would say. Uh, I was a very like, you know, spunky, passionate teenager and I was very angry about the dub and uh, in that mailing list, I would like, I'm so glad this stuff, as far as I know, is gone. I would like write like reviews of episodes complaining about the censorship <laughs> and all this stuff. Um, but like, as far as the manga goes, um, I found a store around that same time period that was importing the Japanese volumes. So I would buy those. And I couldn't read Japanese at the time. and But I would kind of pour over them kind of with a loose idea of what the stories were and stuff. 
And then I eventually studied Japanese and did a short trip to Japan where I like bought the rest of the volumes. And so Dragon Ball is actually one of the few series that I've actually read from beginning to end in Japanese, um, you know, with aid of a dictionary, because I'm still definitely far from fluent and stuff. But like back then when I was studying, I was deep in it. And I'm assuming that uh, most of Dragon Ball's dialogue is pretty easy to read. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The bit, the hardest thing about Dragon Ball to read is Goku's accent and like different characters like accents. Oh, like, yeah. But once you kind of crack that nut and kind of figure out, oh, like a long A sound is I or something like that, like you can kind of figure that out. But yeah. And so then the Viz comics started coming out in those like floppy comic book issue versions. And I would check those out. And I thought it was cool that they were do- using some of the spellings I preferred and things like that. But like, I think at that time I was pretty like, like I said, I was kind of anti corporate translations or whatever. <sighs> and I was like, very much like, into this idea of like, getting it more straight from the source. So I was reading my Japanese volumes, and I was watching my fan subs. And that was my kind of prime source for it. And I eventually later in life, like bought a full run on eBay of, of the original like Dragon Ball uh, and Dragon Ball Z like Viz volumes and read it that way. And that's what I still have. And uh, yeah, and then jumping kind of ahead, um, I guess my other biggest kind of milestone with the series was I did a a drawing project called Daily Dragon Ball to celebrate the 30th anniversary. And um, that was where I would draw a character from Dragon Ball as they appeared chronologically every single day, um, drawing all of the main cast and then and most of the like background or a lot of background characters and stuff just as I saw fit and did that for about a year. And that was kind of big for me because it got a lot of the sort of like Dragon Ball fan community aware of me and my work and and kind of threw me into their discussions on Twitter and stuff like that. Like I had before that kept an eye on like Kanzenshu and, and the their websites before that and stuff. But um, it was kind of cool to then have them kind of be like aware of who I was and I was on their podcast and stuff like that. And that's how I got to know you guys, I think as well, um, initially. And so, yeah, that that takes us to today, basically. (laughs) I think, I think I remember listening to that episode like years and years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was still when I was in the middle of it and I wasn't finished with the project yet. And uh, we'll we'll put a pin in daily dragon ball because I think we actually got a question about that from our good friend, Maxi Bernard. Uh, yeah, cool. Yeah. So we'll save that for a little later. But uh, I want to I want to get back to Bomber because uh, Bomber was kind of talking a little bit about uh, his experience. But how far does Dragon Ball go back for you, Bomber? Like, did you get into it through Tanami, or is your story a little different? Or well, yeah, a lot, a lot like um, like uh, damn, I forgot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. What was your name again? Uh, Joey. <laughs> Joey. Joey. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Oh, you're tired. <laughs> okay, but yeah, a, a lot like him, I um actually did not I didn't get into it through Tsunami. I was actually again back when I was coming up there was I wasn't even aware that there was a difference between anime and cartoons. So hmm. um they used to show cuz all we had on TV was well, that's what I how I got into anime was basically Toei stuff, which was Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball. Those were the two Big ones I remember. There are probably other anime, but I don't remember them. But yeah, then they used to show the original Dragon Ball at like 6 a.m. So I watched like that, but they only did up until like. It was weird because uh, they didn't do any episodes after that. I guess the dub wasn't popular enough 
Well, it's 6 a.m. That's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> but they only did up until when Goku, like, you know, he went Ozaru for the first time. And then they managed to get him to transform back. And then it, that was the last episode. <laughs> then for years I didn't then one day Z came on and they just jumped to Z and then I don't know how far they got with Z this was before Funimation yeah well Funimation was still involved uh, at this point but it was with the Ocean Cat yeah okay so okay that I didn't know but yeah that then there was that version which I watched for a little bit but um, I think, I mean, I'm leaping around here, but I mean, I know I read a little bit of manga because I own two of Viz's volumes, but I didn't read too much into it. I mean, I more or less was like, I watched it a little bit on TV when I couldn't watch anymore. I didn't. <laughs> and then when Z came on with the Ocean Dub, I watched some of that. And then when that disappeared, I was like, oh, okay. I just kind of, I mean, I, when it comes to Dragon Ball, I wasn't, like, passionate about it. I was just like, oh, this is kind of fun. It's on. It's something to do. I'll watch it. I guess it, it wasn't until, like, Funimation, I guess, took over dubbing Z, and then that ended up on Toonami. That's when I actually was like, oh, wow, and started watching it, watching it. And that's when I did get really into it, watching, um, with the Toonami run. We, too, had, like, a, what, what I like to call a hustle guy in our cafeteria in school. <laughs> who had the tapes and then like he would walk around selling them but I never oh, I, wow. I never bought any I, I was like I mean a lot of my friends talked about Dragon Ball and they bought tapes from the Hustle dude <laughs> but I never did I was just kind of I mean again I liked it a lot but I was just like I don't know if I want to spend money on it <laughs> so like I and it's funny because I did buy other series from him, like Inuyasha. So I guess that should tell you why I'm the Sunday guy. <laughs> now, now, I'm, now I'm just now I'm, now I'm just imagining like a like like a, like a kid like a like a long trench coat with a cap, uh, sunglasses, smoking a cigarette, just being like, "Hey, hey, hey, buddy, you wanna want want a tape?" Hey, kid, you like anime? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's funny because it was, it's not, that's not too far from the truth. It was just like, he was like, he was kind of like just an urban legend. He was like, hey, if you want Dragon Ball, just go. He, people had like a business card or something, or like a connection. He had a connection oh or something. Gosh. Hey, hey, bro, if you want to watch more Dragon Ball, I know a guy. <laughs> and you would go, and he was like an urban legend. I mean, like, you know, people, I, I'm not even really sure. I've never seen him. It's just that you would get in touch with somebody who knows somebody, <laughs> and you would get Dragon Ball. That's how it worked. <laughs> you would... Yeah, you know, early on, like, during that period where I was, like, struggling to figure out where to find these tapes and stuff, the like, the thing that blew my mind is that, like, anime wasn't super popular yet, but it was the sort of, like, grungy punk kids that had anime t-shirts and stuff, and I was just like, oh, you know about Dragon Ball? And I, like, talked to them about that, because one of them had a Dragon Ball t-shirt and stuff. And I couldn't get a straight answer out of them, of course, about where they saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was basically... It was a secret, exclusive, underground thing. Yeah, you had to yeah. be cool to be in the you know. Had, yeah, you had, you had to be in the know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how, you, that's, that's how it was. I mean, so, again, I was just watching it on Toonami, and that was fine by me. I was like, okay, cool. So... I, I guess that is essentially my travels. I watched the whole thing on Tsunami and then watched a couple episodes. Then, like, I did see bits and pieces of GT because, like, then that's when the internet started becoming. I actually got internet at home, so I was able to like watch the openings and endings and clips here or there. But I, I, I don't think I ever finished GT. But yeah, I never finished <laughs> GT either. 
<laughs> but, I, I, but yeah, essentially that that was that was me. I mean, like I did eventually like get Dragon Ball. I did watch, yeah, and then it was weird how Toonami did it because they didn't. I didn't they either have like the original Dragon Ball after they had Z or during Z? Well, yeah. they aired Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z at the same time, starting in around two thousand one. And Dragon Ball, the original, ended its run after Dragon Ball Z ended its run in 2003. Because Dragon Ball Z ended in spring of 2003, and then they aired the Piccolo arcs of Dragon Ball in the fall of 2003. And after that, uh, after finishing original Dragon Ball, that's when they started GT. Okay, so that sounds about right, because I do remember sort of seeing it at Dragon Ball after Z, so I was still watching Toonami for that. And I and I mean I I mean we'll probably get into it later, but I did enjoy Dragon Ball more. So I did go out and buy the DVDs of that. Like I found them all on um, eBay and like the entire all four or five boxes. Five I think. Yeah, all I found all five boxes on D, on eBay and bought all of them. So I do own the original Dragon Ball on DVD and I've watched that several times and I really like that. And that was, and as I said earlier, I've actually not really seen Japanese Z since I've only seen the dub on TV. I have seen Japanese DB, but not Z. Hmm. It's interesting. interesting. Um, and I guess from there, you um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm assuming you're you're like Dra- Dragon Ball isn't really something you're super active in or really like you know engaging with too much. I'm assuming. I, I'm no, I you know I pretty much just see watch a little bit of GT and then like uh, I I haven't watched I've seen all of the ending songs for Super yet. I'm weird <laughs> in that way where I haven't seen any of Super, but I've seen all of the music for it. Well, I haven't seen the openings actually, <laughs> but I've seen the endings and I like all of the endings for Super. So that's like kind of making me say maybe I should sit down with it. And then like I I still haven't actually seen Brawly uh, the movie. I, I, that's something I, I am kind of a little bit um, I do regret a bit that I haven't seen it yet and that's something I might need to change it is super good yeah yeah. and now that I'm thinking about it I actually I did actually play a couple of the games through emulations of the Super NES games mm-hmm. I played like two of them I actually beat one of them even though I knew like next to no Japanese <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did finish it and I do remember they had some movie characters in it uh, wasn't there, I mean, wasn't there a guy named Jack or something like that? Uh, like, Bojack? Bojack, yes, yes, he was in this game that I was playing. Like, and <laughs> there were a couple, of, I mean, the game that I know, I I think I played, I, I forgot their name, I, I, yeah, I forgot their names, but it was a two and a three, I remember that, and a two was, like, basically the Cell games. And that was before, like, Toonami had gotten to the Cell games, so I actually got a little spoiled on that. Well, not much, because again, I couldn't read the dialogue, so it was like it was all you knew. All you knew was that there was a big green bug man. Yeah, exactly. No, that, no, <laughs> you joke, but that's exactly it. I just knew that, like, okay, like, because it would be fighting, then a cutscene where, where obviously this is Super Nintendo, so they're not talking, <laughs> so it'd just be a lot of dialogue, and they'd be talking. And I liked, I liked how the game was like presented too, because rather than just have you fight a bunch of people. And then you beat the game. They actually went through the arc. Like the game started off with you can you were Gohan, and you chose to train with like Vegeta or Goku. Obviously, that didn't happen in the series. 
then you finished the training, then you went to the cell games. They actually had it where in the game where he fought Mr. Um, where he fought Hercule. Of course, it was like a two second battle, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, it, it's one thing that's imprinted in my memory. It's just like, cause again, I had no idea what's going on, but like it would just, the dialogue would be like Goku talking to Cell about something and then Hercule would just cut in and it would just cut into the fight and then he would rush the Cell <laughs> and the Cell would just backhand him. And then they would go back to the cutscene like nothing happened. <laughs> and then then they would have, like, computer Goku and computer Cell fighting. And then you got to play as Gohan. Like, I mean, and Goku would get really close. And I always, I replayed the game a couple of times, and computer Goku would always get really close to beating him, but not win, obviously, to go with the series. So I always thought, I always, of course, I hadn't seen Cell, so I always just thought, oh, well, one time, he'll win one time, right? <laughs> like, if I keep playing the game, he'll win, right? And then I won't have to fight him. But, you know, that never happened. <laughs> so. I'm sure that's how that's how Gohan felt, too. <laughs> that's the thing that I think is really interesting about Dragon Ball uh, and Dragon Ball Z uh, in particular as, like, a fandom in the U.S. is that it, there was a whole generation of people who came up kind of knowing a lot about it without having seen it or like watching it uh, on Toonami, but having seen maybe pictures or played video games with characters that they haven't seen yet uh, with the fact that it was like all available where versus the way that things kind of operate now where everyone's experiencing the same thing at the same time. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. That, yeah. It really is interesting. Like, I mean, cause again, the whole reason why I've been mean, getting off the tangent, I, not too much of one, <laughs> but the whole reason why I even started learning Japanese was because then around a little later, I discovered that, you know, Pokemon, and I got into Pokemon like everyone else did. And I discovered that, whoa, wait a second, you know, the anime was on hiatus, they were dubbing more episodes, and I was like, wait, why is Japan, like, 40, like, 84 episodes ahead of us? Because uh, this up until now, I had thought, again, Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon, Pokemon, they were all <laughs> American products. Why does Japan products. get all the Pokemon? Yeah, like, I thought they were all American <laughs> products, so I just figured, I was just like, and then I stumbled onto a Japanese webpage, and I was like, wait a second, they're like, 1,000 episodes ahead of us, why is... Oh, it's because it's <laughs> Japanese stuff, and we're just getting their leftovers. <laughs> and then that's why I was like, no, no, that's not going to work. So I started learning Japanese because of Pokemon. And so eventually, look, yeah. I, look, if it, make, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't realize what anime was until I was about, oh, uh, I want to say 14, 15. Yeah, that, that, that's about, I mean, I was probably little older than that but yeah that's when i figured out like oh wow and then of course again the anime the bigger going alluding to what joey just said it's just like of course the internet being a big factor in this now the bigger the anime the internet became the more easier it became to like discover stuff like this because obviously if there was no internet i would i probably still think that pokemon was made in the u.s so (laughs) i I like it knowing that you know when the internet started to become more accessible that's when i started finding out things and then i found you know, different stuff and found out, oh, wow, this is actually Japanese stuff. So I, I, I would have to attribute it to Dragon Ball because, again, the trifect- the the series back then were Dragon Ball and Pokemon. Those are the two things that were easy to get into. So I, I do have to contribute, at least attribute a little bit of me learning Japanese to Pokemon. I mean, to Dragon Ball as well. Mm, interesting. Um, But here, I guess, uh, Lum, do you want to talk about how you got into Dragon Ball a little bit? 
Sure, but first I just want to say that I love hearing stories about like fandom in the 90s and like how people oh, got same, yeah. into things back then through the fan subculture and through like just whispers and rumors of things on the internet of like people sharing episode summaries or screenshots or oh, vague yeah. things to and then people piecing together the stories in their heads uh from that or like these pen pal of uh, tape mailing or even just letter mailing groups where people would tell each other about these things. To me, that's really cool as someone who, you know, got into fandom way past that era. And it's really fascinating to me to hear, like, just discovering the series piecemeal at a point where it wasn't all available and you kind of had to rely on other fans to see and learn more about it. So that's really, really cool to me to hear your guys' stories about that. Uh, and also, like, learning the stories to the games is also really uh, fun to hear. Because I imagine, like, Dragon Ball Z games were coming out in the 90s before, like, even the show, really. So that is also pretty interesting. Yeah, just a little bit. Like, their final bout, I think it was called the yeah, GT yeah. game. Yeah. I think was maybe the first one to officially come out. I had a friend who was Thai who had an imported version of one of the Dragon Ball games for Super Nintendo, I think. And he had to, it still worked in the American Super Nintendo, but he had to tear off the back so it would fit into the thing. And so we would play some Dragon Ball Z fighting game with split screens uh, that was hard to play, in my opinion. But um, yeah, uh, through through that method. Oh, okay. But I honestly haven't played a lot of uh, the video games. Actually, I found out the title of it was Super Budoden 2. That's what I was playing. Yeah. I just looked it up. <laughs> so... Yeah, it it was definitely it was yeah, I'm looking at the screenshots and this was definitely the game I played. So cool. And that came out in Oh, it came out in oh wow, there was an American release? I guess it was part of like a comp- compilation or something, because it came out October twentieth, twenty fifteen in North America. The original Jap- Japanese one was nineteen ninety three, December. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, I mean, from what um, just going on with Lums was saying, yeah, and of course you can't forget a good old American hustle, man. It seems like, <laughs> I, I love that. I love that Joey and I have that in common <laughs> that we we had some sort of hustle man going on. <laughs> this is for you, hustle man. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, my main source, like I said, was actually a bit more altruistic. It was like a guy that I would just send tapes and then send a money order that would mostly cover just shipping and handling. And then there was some trading involved too with some other people. That's how I got some of GT and some of the movies was through just trading with folks. But I didn't, the problem was I didn't have a lot to trade. I didn't have a lot to offer. So like trading was hard uh, for me, but like um, I do uh, later, I would hear stories of these hustle guys or, or these stores <laughs> in New York in the basement or something where people were selling tapes uh for profit and that was pretty different than than my personal experience yeah i just love hearing about that early community and fandom stuff because if it's back at a point where the stuff isn't all on streaming services or all online where you can very easily access it so you had to like get in touch with other people to exchange the physical media or learn more things and to me that's like really really interesting uh, for me, I didn't really have like a community to like, uh, talk about anime, manga stuff with for a, quite a while. As a kid, I was kind of at load in my interest in the medium in the, in anime and manga stuff, but I didn't get into it until 
well, I just really got into Dragon Ball. And I've told this story before, most recently on the Manga Machinations podcast, but I did indeed get into Dragon Ball through the final couple episodes of Dragon Ball GT. Uh, the fourth to last episode, I just randomly one day was channel flipping and I normally wouldn't watch Tanami because I, at the time I wasn't interested in uh, most action cartoons, but I saw the end of an episode of GT where the Dragon Ball was popping out of Goku's forehead and that intrigued me and then I tuned in for the next week's episode and it was the episode where Nova Shinron assists Goku in fighting Omega Shinron uh, only for Nova to lose and then the situation becoming more desperate. So that was a really compelling episode to me, really interesting and so I continued from there. And I walked through the end of GT and I when I saw that, oh, this is the last episode, I like cried for days because I thought, oh man, I missed out on the show that was really interesting. Like just seeing that montage of uh, all these iconic Dragon Ball moments in the final episode of Dragon Ball GT and just the very vibe of it that this is a big farewell. Like it really hit my heart, it really touched me. And so, you know, that really left an impression on me and made me sad and cry for days until I looked up on the Cartoon Network schedule and realized, oh, there are new episodes. There's something called the Lost episode starting next week. <laughs> and I uh, continued from there. But actually, to rewind the clock, I did have some experiences from with Dragon Ball even before the, the fateful January 2005 when I really got into it. Because I think my earliest memories of Dragon Ball, like I didn't watch it back when DBZ and Dragon Ball were like really on Toonami on weekdays. I have scattered uh, rememberings of while I was in India one time seeing Dragon Ball on TV and seeing like uh, scenes from the Namek arc like that left an impression on my head, like King Kai's planet with the just the green uh, ness. uh, in contrast with the pink background, left an impression on me as a visual. And then, like, the scene of the Dragon Balls in Vegeta, in the Frieza's, uh, spaceship, as Vegeta's looking in on it from the outside, preparing, making his plan to, like, throw them out. And then another scene of Dende and Kuririn hiding from Vegeta. Like, those scenes I stuck in my mind still, uh, to this day, just, they left an impression on me, even though the show was being broadcast in Hindi, and uh, I didn't understand it, uh, what was going on, but, you know, then from there, you know, I still wasn't, like, totally interested in Dragon Ball until, uh, it was actually June 2004 when I was the first full episode of a Dragon Ball thing I watched, and that was episode 40, Piccolo's Decision of Dragon Ball GT, and, uh, that story actually was, like, what really got me curious about Dragon Ball and the, and the story and these characters, but I only fall, I didn't keep up with it from there. It was really just a five where I, where I was really dedicated to it. But those are some of my earlier experiences before I really got into Dragon Ball fully. But once I, you know, fell in love with uh, the series through GT, that's when I started seeking out rest of it and i watched the series and read the series where i piecemeal just whatever was there that i could find in my library i took and watched and i didn't really care about the order of anything i just you know watched and read whatever was there so yeah same with with uh, dragon ball z era stuff i think the first tape i got was early 
Frieza arc, by which I mean what Funimation dubbed the Frieza saga, which was Battle of Frieza, where they summon Perunga, and then, you know, they make their wishes, then Frieza shows up and the battle begins. So, I, I think I, was, um, sorry, I was just going to say, I think I actually have a tape from the Frieza saga as well, except uh, I think mine has, has the episodes where, uh, Piccolo shows up and fights a uh, second form Frieza. I have that somewhere around here. I, I I remember my my parents bought it for me at like a flea market or some or <laughs> something like that. Like when I was really really young. I still occasionally see those tapes at like um, Goodwills and stuff like that. Huh, that's cool. I went out of my way to buy the. Uh, this was when I was working at a thrift store at the time, across from where I lived. I went out of my way to buy the tape where uh, Goku goes Super Saiyan for the first time. So I was like, oh, this looks kind of cool. I want to own this. <laughs> I think I I, nice. I think I literally spent like 75 cents on it or something. It was really cheap. <laughs> the only Dragon Ball DVD I got before the season sets was Cell Games Awakening. It was a DVD where Gohan transforms into Super Saiyan 2 uh in the fight with cell and 16 sacrifice and him transforming super saiyan 2 and i didn't know that was the content in the dvd i just saw the cover and i read the episode summaries on the back and i was interested in it and you know i actually regret buying the dvd because it was a i was debating whether to buy that or uh, a hamtaro dvd and uh (laughs) considering now one show is way more readily available to watch than the other. I wish I did buy the Hamtaro DVD. But, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a fun memory. But in terms of other first with Dragon Ball, I think the first episodes of original pre-Z Dragon Ball I watched was Early Red Ribbon Army, the Colonel Silver episodes, which to me left a, another big impression and kind of set my perception in my head where I felt like Dragon original Dragon Ball was more mature than Z in some ways because the mm. gun violence and violence against civilians and when Colonel Red is like storming a town with the huge tanks of the Red Ribbon Army and just murdering like innocent civilians and then burning down forests and endangering wildlife. To me, that seemed just so much more real and dangerous as violence than some of the fantastical stuff in Z. But also what really appealed to me about just OG Dragon Ball, I think is just, again, the humor of it and uh, the adventurous feel of it. But I liked every aspect of Dragon Ball from what I was seeing. And uh, it was not too far from when I was getting into the anime that I discovered the manga and bought my very first volume of manga ever, which was Dragon Ball Z Volume 18, which I bought in March 2005. It was, I think, just newly released then. And again, I didn't really know the the content of it when I bought it. And it's kind of funny that I bought that and uh, the DBZ DVD that I bought kind of in the same month around the same time, uh, considering they had the same content. But yeah, I mean, that volume, that was my first time experiencing manga. And really, I think I took to Toriyama's art and just the way he panels and how he draws action very immediately, even though I did was confused, of course, uh, how to read it. I remember I got that I was supposed to read it uh, left to right in terms of pages, but on the pages itself, I was reading each individual page still <laughs> uh 
left to right instead of right to left. So, you know, I was flipping, uh, I was flipping right, the right way, but I was reading the pages still the wrong way. So that was pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, that was the first volume of manga I got. And that volume of manga is what made me aware of other manga that was being published by Viz at the time because of the, you know, the listing of all the upcoming volumes that they would have at the beginning of the volumes back then. And then, of course, watching Dragon Ball on Toonami got me to watch other shows on Toonami. And then looking up Dragon Ball uh, online is what got me into online fandom and made me discover the Toon Zone forums, which got me deeper into anime and Toonami fandom particularly. And, you know, I really got obsessed with Dragon Ball from then on in my middle school years. Like every day, I think I would visit the official Dragon Ball websites they had and just read all the episode summaries and then go over every character page to see what episodes every character appeared in, especially the minor characters and (laughs) just look up the wiki and read everything on the wiki and all the fan sites back then as well read all the rumor guides and uh, all the like information i could on the series so like that was just my routine every day before school after school i would spend like an hour or something just uh going over all these dragon ball websites and then of course Toriyama was such a huge influence on me like drawing and artistically like I would draw characters from Dragon Ball of course but really also Dr. Slump when I discovered that was a huge influence on me and I had OCs based on Dr. Slump characters I had (laughs) an OC based on Mashirito called Makia who was also like kind of a scientist guy except he had like glasses and more of a sarcastic personality and then I had a OC based on Sour Man called uh, Pickle Man, who is just a guy dressed in a pickle costume, but he had a uh, Superman's face. So Toriyama <laughs> really captured my imagination as a child, and I really became enamored with his series and his worlds. And uh, you know, I, I still feel that way to this day. You know, I've revisited Dragon Ball and thought about Dragon Ball, both in anime and manga form, more times than I think any other series. And, uh, you know, going through it again, I think this is the first time I may have uh, truly read through it beginning to end, uh, just in like one continuous stretch. Like, I'm not sure because I've read every part of the manga before. But I don't know if I've done it like start to finish, like chapter one through chapter 519, like instead of just reading out of order piecemeal. So this was a kind of a cool experience to do that. And coming from it from now, my perspective now is interesting just because I do think, uh, you know, some of my opinions over the years have changed over how I feel about parts of the story of Dragon Ball. But I think one thing that has not changed is my love of Toriyama as an artist. And it just continues to grow. And I just continue to just be awed by his art, his artistic skill, like just how readable his action always is, just how effortlessly like he can communicate gestures and he can communicate like just these 
really amazing expressions that he can do with his characters. Like I, I just absolutely love his art so much, and that feeling just remains after re- this reread. Yeah, well, we we'll, won't we'll get into it, I'm sure, but like very rarely during, I guess, what would be my second read through, uh, of the entirety of the manga. Like there were, I don't think there was a time where I was I was like lost in what was going on. I I, I literally cannot think of a moment where I was like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. Like I I I don't know. Like it it, it uh, Dragon Ball is probably the most readable comic I've ever read. Yeah, it's very it's you know. Compared to other comics, is very simple, you know, and that isn't a knock against it. It's just that's actually a strength. A uh, huge it. And strength, I, think that's, I would say, yes. I think that's part of its appeal to such a huge worldwide audience is that um, that simplicity pulls you in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do want to quickly uh, kind of go over my history with Dragon Ball. Uh, I promise I won't take too long. It's just because, you know, uh, like... 90% of my generation I got in through to through Tanami that's no surprise. Um I wish I could remember what my first viewing of Dragon Ball was on Tsunami because I have memories of watching the latter half of the Frieza arc. I, I like I I remember catching a lot of the Super uh, Super Saiyan Goku versus Frieza fight. I remember watching a lot of that and then I remember I want to say I caught I caught the first three movies at some point. I know those aired at some point. I, I should have looked those up, but like I have mem- I have memories of watching those on TV. Um and then like so some of the later ones I would like watch on DVD, like through a friend or whatever. Uh and then um but b- basically up up until I had a chance to read the manga, like I would I would I would always like go through parts of the story, either like through airings on Toonami, like, I would pretty much watch up until, like, I want to say up until, like, the Cell portion of the Android saga or whatever. Um, and then there was just a huge portion of time where, like, I wasn't watching Dragon Ball on TV for whatever reason. And I think I tweeted about this. I caught an episode years later involving Vegito, uh, the, the fusion of uh, Vegeta and Goku, and just thinking, like, I don't know what's going on, but I love this. <laughs> uh, I was I was still, as, as lost as I was, I still enjoyed it. And then from there, like, you know, you guys talk about the video games. Like, I don't think I've ever played a Dragon Ball video game older than the PlayStation 2. Uh, because uh, I remember my friends, when I was in fourth grade, had a copy of Dragon Ball Z Budokai. And playing that and thinking, like, man, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> Budokai was my first too. I was a Nintendo kid, so I played it on GameCube. But yeah, the Budokai series uh, were definitely favorites of mine as a kid too. Budokai two in particular. Oh, I, I loved Budokai two. Budokai two had like, uh, like 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 the game board. Yeah, I love the game board it. aspect. Yeah, that was that was that was like Budokai two, and uh, it's weird. I went from Budokai two to Budokai Tenkaichi two. And so, like, I remember Tenkaichi 2, like, I, uh, I love that game as well because it's, like, you, you got to, like, explore the world and, like, look for different items and stuff. Like, I really, I really loved playing that game. Uh, I remember, I remember being kind of disappointed in Tenkaichi 3 a little bit because it, it didn't have the stuff that I liked about Budokai Tenkaichi 2, but, uh, 
I don't t- t- Tenkaichi Three became the game that like I would play with my friends all the time, to the point where like like I I I picked I picked it back up again after finding my PlayStation Two again and just like I I just I picked it up just like normal like <laughs> like a, a lot of that game is like really ingrained into me like it's just it it, it just. I, I'm 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 really trying not to brag, I promise. But like certain controls in that game just just come as naturally to me as breathing. Like I, the, the, there there were always certain like things I would always do in that game and and whatnot that I'm just so used to like uh, doing and whatnot. But yeah, Tenkaichi Three I would play obsessively with my friends all the time. Uh, to the point where like I would just kind of keep it in my PlayStation Two. Like it was very rarely in its case because I knew I was just gonna play it. But yeah, no, so like, yeah, it, it's weird because like, I I know portions of the series through different things. Like, like I said, I watched a lot of Frieza and Androids through Toonami, and I basically learned about most of the story through the video games. Um, I never watched it. I never watched an episode of the original Dragon Ball on Toonami. I never caught an episode, but I think that's because that was around the point where I really wasn't watching I probably wasn't watching a lot of Cartoon Network around that time. Uh, uh, 2005, I think, was the first time I watched the Saiyan Saga through through like the uncut versions of those episodes. I remember when that was a that was a big thing. Yeah, they were broadcasting in the summer at like 9:30 uh, p.m. Central Time. Oh man, that, that was, was a big that deal. was the best. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that was my first time watching through all that stuff. Uh, and then um, I think it was around 2010 uh, when I was in high school and I, I met my, my my now best friend and roommate uh, who, when I was first meeting him, you know, we had started hanging out. And then basically uh, one night when I was hanging out at his place and I slept over, I, I woke up at his place one morning and I saw that he just had all the Dragon Ball, uh, both Dragon Ball and Z. And so, like, I just kind of started reading it, <laughs> and that was my first time seeing any of the original Dragon Ball stuff. Like, that was my first time, you know, reading how Goku and Bulma met, how they met Yamcha, uh, Pilaf, and, like, everything. Like, Red Ribbon Army. Um, and so, like, stuff stuff like, um, you know, Demon King Piccolo killing Shenlong, like, that was such a big deal to me, because mm-hmm. it's like, wow... <laughs> I've never seen that before, um, which uh, I'm I'm really surprised how much I got out of uh, how much I got out of that portion of the series. But uh, yeah, no. So like, the, I I think um, I'm trying to think. I think really this past decade, specifically, like I think ever since like ever since Battle of Gods, and. Uh, for full disclosure, I I did at one point attempt a Dragon Ball podcast that uh, if you pro- if you listen to it again, it's probably very bad. Uh, it was just an excuse for me to like kind of hang out and talk with my friends. Um, I had the brilliant idea of of covering the Dragon Ball manga one chapter at a time per episode. <laughs> uh, I think we only got like I want to say twenty or thirty chapters in, but yeah, no, it was a bad idea, and I don't think I'll ever do it again. <laughs> You know what's a good, just jumping off of that real quick, it, it's kind of hard to find because you have to kind of pick and choose through their archives, but Kanzenshu did like a volume by volume read through. Yeah, I remember um, listening to it. On yeah. their podcast. Yeah. And those are really great. Those are, um, 
those are have some good discussions. They talk about a thing that they call visisms, where vis takes uh, weird liberties, and and you kind of learn about something I didn't know about, like this sort of different ways viz's philosophies on translation kind of like morphed over the years that they were creating uh, that they were translating yeah. uh, dragon ball mm-hmm. um which is interesting and you can definitely see that reflected when when you read back but um yeah so just you know for your listeners if you can kind of like poke through their archives and find their like manga reviews of awesomeness or something like that um th- those are good episodes mm-hmm. no yeah i remember i remember listening to a lot of those because i think i got into at the time, it was Dai Zenshu, now Kan Zenshu. Yeah, I think I started listening to them around that time, like 2009, 2010, or whatever. And I, th- I think they were still in the middle of their reviews at that point. So I think about like halfway through, I, I started listening to those like as they were coming out. Um, and, I- and, I st- and I still listen to Kan Zenshu to this day. Like, they're such a great source of information uh, when it comes to Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys are great. Definitely go check them out if you haven't. But like, uh, but no, yeah, like, like I said, my my story isn't really that great. But I do, I do just find it interesting looking back how like I I had not gone through the actual story of Dragon Ball, you know, chronologically until I read through the manga for the first time, and you know, uh, I I definitely had a bigger appreciation of the series after that, and then. Uh, yeah, really, this past decade, I, I don't think I've ever been so into Dragon Ball as much as I had before. Like, the the, the, the movies and Super have really, like, invigorated my, my love for the franchise as a whole, uh, which I think is pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think we can just move on from uh, from a lot of our origin stories. Uh, I'm, I'm sure if we have any fond memories, we'll bring them up, but... Uh, uh, I guess we should probably just talk about the actual manga. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we should start from the beginning because uh, out of... And uh, like I said, th- this was my second time going through the manga from beginning to end. Because uh, I hadn't done so since high school. So definitely almost like a good 10 years at this point <laughs> of uh, not reading the manga. And um, I think the beginning of the manga is probably what I'm most familiar with. Because I think there have been times where like... I would start reading it and I would get through the first two volumes, but like just kind of drop off after that for whatever reason. And, and obviously like when I had my dumb Dragon Ball podcast that I'm not going to name, uh, you know, I, I obviously we, we had kind of gone through that beginning arc, uh, I, I guess through a fine tooth comb. Not really. We, you know, again, it was a more casual podcast, but I do remember like really kind of like, paying attention to that first arc and kind of like trying to analyze it as best I could at the time. And so, yeah, I, I think my feelings on the beginning have really changed since the first time I read those for more than one reason. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know, like, what do you, I, I guess, what are our, what are our general thoughts on like the beginning of Dragon Ball as the beginning of the story? And I guess just like how it evolves from there. Well, I also mentioned that the beginning of Dragon Ball is also something that I have definitely read a lot as a kid because back before we had 1500 manga, you know, we didn't have as many manga, me and V-Lord. And so I only had a few Dragon Ball volumes and the only volume of pre-Z Dragon Ball I had was the first volume for the longest time. So I reread it many, many times and... I still feel like it's a really charming start and a good adventure. Like it goes through a lot of different 
places and uh, we have a great group of characters that all have unique skills. And I think this sets the early arc apart in a really good way is that, you know, this is before the series really focuses on martial arts and combat as its focus. And it's more about, okay, this is a, a group going on an adventure and they all need different skills. So Goku is to combat it, but also valuable is Bulma's skills as uh, someone who is in charge with, of technical skills and, being kind of the the brains of the group and then we have oolong who has his shape-shifting who also is good at shape-shifting and uh namcha has a more cunning uh mindset as well so everyone has different things they can bring to the table that kind of helps out and contributes to the story in really solid ways so i think that's the strength of this portion of the story that later arcs of dragon ball don't quite as well utilize they don't really manage to utilize all the members of the core main cast quite as effectively Mm -hmm. not at all no i think that there are just a lot of charming stories you know toriyama's coming off of doing dr slump just two months ago he had ended dr slump uh, before starting this and so you still got kind of that late dr sumpy feel of just you know there's a lot of focus on gag comedy there's just a very light-hearted tone even in the the violence being depicted is all very cartoony and nothing taken too seriously of course there's the legendary panel of goku punching yamcha and he, it, yamcha crashing into the top of the panel and breaking it <laughs> and that yeah. causing him to plumb to the ground. So it's still that kind of playfulness that I love from Toriyama, uh, like not just uh, within the series itself, but like also playing with what he can do with, you know, uh, comic to storytelling and how to have that come back into the story and affect it. And so I love all those aspects about it. And I think, I guess, if I have criticisms, I guess one is that I just, I think that I'll also bring this up a lot, is that, of course, you know, I also have very fond memories of the anime version. And so in the anime, I think it's also really strong what they do with having Pilaf be like a recurring force throughout the storyline. And that kind of just building up to a confrontation between the heroes and the Pilaf for the final Dragon Balls. I really like that aspect in the anime. And in here, you know, the Pilaf gang is still really fun, really fun. And I love the gag where I love the idea that Pilaf is like very anti-gag. He's very prudish. (laughs) And so he chastises Mai for being, what, are you making a poop joke? Stop that. This isn't Dr. Slump. And, like, their idea of doing something really lewd is, like, Pilaf blowing a kiss at Bulma. (laughs) Yeah, because he's, like, a little kid. He's, like, an embarrassed little kid or something. Yeah, I like it. And I love that because it's, like, they're, like, uh, I mean, compared to the rest of the characters who are very bold and kind of in your face with kind of their breaching of boundaries, like, Goku is repeatedly kind of padding mm-hmm. uh women to determine their gender and then we have many scenes of like uh nudity and characters being perverted i like the contrast that the villain group is like the very prudish ones and the heroic group are like kind of the really wild more pervy 
ones. That's kind of a funny contrast. I think that kind of fits kind of Toriyama's like like writing mm-hmm. playfulness and philosophy. Uh, so I, I like that about them. But I yeah, I just I like them. I like the Pilar Gang so much that I guess that I do miss it that they're in the manga way less, like half as much. But I guess my bigger overall thing that really hurt, uh, actually does kind of hurt my enjoyment, like going back to that uh, perverseness is that, you know, just as a kid, it kind of glossed over me and I enjoyed it as kind of like just goofy fun. But now coming into it, reading it as an adult, like I don't really enjoy it and, and it kind of makes me eh, uncomfortable. Like I don't want, like, I don't really like the fact that the mutant Roshi is perving on a, you know, a t- underage girl. I don't like that uh, she gets into sexually compromised situations and has, like, her her boundaries uh, crossed so often. Like, I think Bulma is treated quite badly uh, in this arc in terms of being sexually harassed. And that makes it a very unpleasant read at times uh, for me. Yeah. So that definitely hurts a lot of early Dragon Ball is this is this kind of, you know, sexually explicit perverse humor. And this also has, you know, made me made it difficult for me to like recommend uh, you know, other people, especially younger people, you know, to start Dragon Ball from the beginning cuz I think about stuff content like this and I'm like I don't know if in good conscience I can really recommend this to younger people. I think I might want to recommend them start with a different story arc with less of this content instead. Which is, you know, even as as a kid, I read this stuff and I didn't, like, think second thoughts about it. But, you know, I don't think it's uh, it was acceptable at the time for this humor to be written like this uh, with underage characters and now especially I definitely think that it it's of its time and it's uh, very hard to to really justify when, when yeah. I was um I, I have a lot of memories as a teenager of like going to borders and like kind of peering through the manga section at like different books and whatever and whenever I would get to the first volume of Dragon Ball I remember being like, oh, well, I know what Z is, but I've never, I don't know what Dragon Ball is or whatever. Um, and I would look, th- I would look through it and be like, wow, this is not what I was expecting. And like, obviously, as a teenager, like, I didn't, let's just say I didn't mind it. Um, you know, I was like, oh, man, Bulma's naked in this <laughs> one. Huh, that's interesting. Um, and just like, I, just, I remember just being a dirty teenager, like, being afraid that someone was going to, like, walk by me seeing this book. Um, and just, like, man, it was, like, like between that and, um, I think I mentioned this before with uh, with Aizu, or Eyes or however you pronounce that one. Like, my, my borders had a lot of copies of those one, too. Of the of those books too, and I'll just look at it and be like, "Oh wow, there's a lot of girls in their underwear in this one, huh? That's interesting." Um, and I remember just being like, "Oh man, I really hope no one sees me reading this." And I, <laughs> I, like, I, I totally have memories of just being like, "Nope, someone's coming by. I better put this back and pick something else up." You know, a related memory I have about being worried about someone seeing me watching something potentially inappropriate was actually when I was watching Dragon Ball T with my cousin one time. And uh, it was the episode with General Rildo kind of 
he kind of sheds all his armor and he kind of becomes naked. And I thought that was, oh no, the, if I, if someone sees me watching this, you know, I'll get in trouble. <sighs> so when like my uncle came in, we all crowded around the TV. So he didn't, wouldn't see that general Rildo didn't have like clothes on or whatever, <laughs> even though like, he's just like, there's, he doesn't have genitals or anything. He's just, uh, he doesn't, he's not wearing any clothes, but there's no <laughs> like actual perverted parts to his depiction but it was just kind of funny like mindset as a kid as a, as a little kid but you know get reading this stuff when i was really really young i didn't have any like understanding of like what i was seeing was supposed to be inappropriate or i mean i understood it was like a little bit inappropriate and uh transgressive in that in the sense that it was nudity but i didn't think i didn't really understand like the the real reasons why it was kind of problematic. Like, I didn't have that understanding as a kid. Like, as a kid, I didn't really think twice about what nudity was. I thought it was just, oh, people are naked. Yeah. And that's the end of my thought there. Or, like, I didn't understand, like, why would the mutant Roshi want to see Bulma naked? I didn't, I just thought that, oh, that's weird. I guess perverted people want to see people naked, but I didn't understand, like, the, power dynamics and kind of the gross elements at play in that especially because it's being passed off as humor i think that's probably kind of the dangerous things about that kind of humor is that it kind of normalizes or makes you think more likely of that kind of behavior if you get exposed to those ideas too much as a kid and don't like really understand oh no in in the real world this has consequences and this is like really hurtful psychologically and physically Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like my perspectives uh, on this have changed as well uh similar to you guys um you know when i first saw it i was a teen as well and i I think i also kind of upheld this uh dirty humor as an example of why like japanese comics were better than our like stuffy american cartoons and things like that (laughs) um but you know i make kids comics and part of that is going and doing presentations to schools and talking about comics with kids and stuff like that and it's really hard uh for me because i like to talk about dragon ball which is one of my most uh beloved and influential comics in my life but like i can't in good conscience like recommend it and i think that is was originally because i was worried about like the nudity and sex jokes just being inappropriate especially in parents and teachers minds you know because like sex isn't a thing that we like you know openly talk about in front of kids and stuff like that but over time i my like especially in this reading uh times have changed enough where we're a lot more kind of socially conscious and stuff where reading it i am a lot more aware that the problem isn't that there's nudity the problem is that like like kami Sinan's attitudes and things like that have kind of a social toll as well um mm-hmm. like you were talking about and that is something that i don't uh want to kind of present positively to kids even though roshi's like Ro- roshi's depicted negatively but it's also kind of like chuckled about like you were saying it's kind of like oh ho ho you know and so like yeah so that's an aspect that I don't like, but this also, I have very, very mixed, <laughs> unsettled feelings about this because, like, on one aspect, this plus the sort of, we'll get into this later, I'm sure, like, racist imagery that's also in the books, like, I am all for preserving the art and against censorship, 
but it's at a certain point i feel like am i really wanting to like champion racist and sexist art you know so like i wish that there was kind of a a preserved version of this in english where there was a maybe a disclaimer like those tezuka books uh where it says you know this was created at a different time or golden age looney tunes uh on the looney tunes dvds Hmm. but like at the same time, like, how hard do I really want to fight to preserve that kind of stuff? You know, so it's 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 a it's a thing that I don't really know where I fall on completely. Um, I have a warmth for this arc and for a lot of those jokes in particular, just because, like I said, I like came in like the Dragon Ball 10th anniversary movie, which recaps a lot of the stuff was like very formative for me. And so I think of this as like classic Dragon Ball, you know, like. And it's important to me in that way. And I like, like, I think uh, it's hard to talk about, but like kind of just taken as jokes, like looking at the structure of how they're told and things like that. They're very good jokes in that way. Uh, A lot of the times I'm like, this is funny for what it is, but what it is, is very problematic, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, you know, um, I like the kind of setup and punchline of like Bulma not realizing she doesn't have any underwear when she shows Roshi, you know, that's like so well constructed, but like, you know, it gives you kind of a dirty feeling. <laughs> I, I That's exactly how I feel about that joke. For the longest time, you know, I used to champion that as like, I, I used to use that as an example of like, Toriyama is a genius. Like he, he, he uses nudity to like forward the plot uh, in a sense, but like, and and I still I I like I agree with you, Joey. Like I still I really like the construction of that joke, and I think it works as a joke. But at the same time, coming back to this ten years later and seeing like you know how sexualized Bulmuk is throughout this first arc, especially like it's just it's it's really hard to read. Um, and I, and I think we'd be kind of remiss while talking about a lot of this stuff if we didn't mention what I think is the worst chapter, like objectively the worst chapter of Dragon Ball. Uh, in its entirety, is when you have Yamcha trying to stalk their RV to get the Dragon Balls, and meanwhile you have Oolong, who basically roofies Bulma and Goku. Yeah. Like, that That was... um, I, I, I have been watching Dragon Ball with a friend of mine recently, and that was an episode that, like, in hindsight, I should have been like, let's just... I, I should have just skipped that one. I don't know why we watched it. But again, that's like... Very well structured. The drawings of of Puar like badly disguised as the characters is funny and cute. Yeah, and there's like lots of good and the like. I I still laugh really hard at like uh, Yamcha's big eyes with the boobs in them and stuff. See, that's but, funny. Like, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> that his eyes like are boob shaped is just amazing, amazing. Koana to the joke. But like, but yeah, when talking about like roofing characters and stuff, like it's pretty, pretty yeah. rough. Like, I, th- I think that yeah. actively makes Oolong like my most hated Dragon Ball character. Yeah, it really is hard to like Oolong after he basically tries to rape Bulma after drugging her. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, uh, it's bad. It's pretty awful. Um, and yeah, that that really turned my friend off of watching Dragon Ball for for a while. I'm I'm surprised she watched more with me um but fun and 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 i guess going uh i want to talk about the anime a little bit too because it is worth mentioning that like if if you're reading through dragon ball and and like and if you obviously like have a problem with a lot of the with a lot of the more like sexual humor 
like unfortunately the anime really like turns that up to 11 i feel like yeah um which the anime yeah. makes improvements in some areas but uh, these jokes is not one of them in fact they make it worse throughout the series and into dragon ball z they will have the mutant roshi still be perverted like long past those jokes even appear in which the manga. really sucks because like i i love roshi i he's uh, despite all of this, I still think he's probably one of my favorite characters because I think he's a yeah. good character despite this. But like, I'm I'm kind of glad we've moved past the the old perverted master sensei, whatever you want to call. It. You don't really see that as much anymore, at least not as far as I could see. Yeah, I think Jiraiya was like the last big one in my memory, and I hate that because I love I love Jiraiya too. He's, <laughs> he's probably my yeah. one of my favorite characters in Naruto. But I just I, I hate that they have to be these perverted characters peeping on women and <laughs> constantly like uh, uh, like either assaulting or taking advantage of them. It's just not cool. Um, if I could bring up a positive about this first uh, arc of Dragon Ball. Please, please. Um, do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I really feel a very like rejuvenated and excited Toriyama. Uh, there's like a, an enthusiasm in these first few chapters, especially in the drawings, uh, that's, like, really, really great. Like, um, I love Dr. Slump to death. Like, on some days, I might tell you Dr. Slump's my favorite uh, series of his. But towards the end of that, you do feel him, like, losing interest to the point where, like, the last few chapters are, like, about some motorcycle guy driving around. And you're like, okay, Toriyama's, like, checked out completely. <laughs> oh, man, uh, I love those chapters. I know, so. I do. But, like, you can tell that he's like, I'm done with this. <laughs> but, like, um, the drawings uh, and the backgrounds, especially, and, like, I just reading that first chapter, I was, like, marveling at how beautifully drawn Bulma's car is. And, uh, like, it's not even just, like, so technically well drawn. It also, like, which it is, but it also, like, uh, bends and curves depending on which direction it's like skidding in and things like that. It's like so beautiful. Like, um, and you really can tell that like, uh, you know, this came from Toriyama telling his editor that he likes Kung Fu movies or whatever. And, and you can really see that he's having a lot of fun kind of exploring a new interest of his that he didn't uh, dive into too much with Dr. Slump. And I feel like the first couple arcs of this are my favorite, my personal favorite of uh, Toriyama's art for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really gets to draw a lot of new locations in this arc, and it really draws some detailed architecture like Goku's house, like the village that Oolong terrorizes, the RV that they uh, drive, mm -hmm. and Kame House, and the mushroom forest, like all of these different things. It's like, he draws some really imaginative locations that I think that, you know, being stuck in Penguin Village for so many years there was a limit to like what he could draw in that place but now he gets to explore new locations like every couple chapters and i think he's having fun with that which is really nice to see like an early dragon ball that toriyama would be so inventive with where he took the story and like the places where he had characters interact and do things in where you know later in dragon ball he'll also kind of get fatigued and start to kind of make the backgrounds just kind of these plain landscapes but here like these are really interesting diverse terrains that the characters goes through like every couple chapters toriyama is a very like indulgent artist in a lot of ways where you just kind of like he's just like 
I want to draw this car, so now I'm going to write a story around where this car shows up or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But he manages to like make it work because you feel that passion and you feel how much fun he he's having creating this stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, unfortunately, I haven't read Slump or watched it. Well, other than like you know, obviously the crossover that happens later in Dragon Ball. That's the extent of my Doctor Slump. <laughs> so I, I feel like now talking, listening to you guys talk, I really should sit down with it. I mean, I, I hate to drag it back to what we were talking about before, but I guess it's an interesting perspective to hear you all talk about it. I don't want to say so much that I'm okay with it. I guess um, I guess just on one level, I, I understand where the era that it came from, and mm-hmm. while it's not good, I'm not and uh, and you know I know back then it was that that was just you know that was the thing. So well, not the thing, but that was acceptable back then. So I guess I never really thought about people people accepted yeah, it back then. Yeah, and, and I guess yeah. I just never really. I mean, again, since a lot of the cartoons I watched back then. You know, I, I was with the Golden Age Looney Tunes and stuff like that. It just felt like, okay, that's just an extension of that. So, uh, so I just never really thought, oh, this is actually could have ramifications past that. So when I was reading through it again, you know, the same thing. Like the, the Gulong thing did bother, bother me though. Cause again, I've watched the original Dragon Ball a couple of times and that's just like, yeah, it does bug me that, that, that was in there. Cause I, I, I can't like, Again, as you all were saying about the Bulma jokes and everything like that, those had a good, I mean, they, they were good, they're structured well, but I just feel like the Oolong thing really didn't need to, there could have been another way to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like, I feel like you don't, you don't, you don't need that chapter of Dragon Ball at all. Yeah, that, that, that was the thing. And then going to Master Roshi, it was just like, I mean, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I, I won't say too much, but I don't know, I'm conflicted on him. Like, it's like Colton said, I like him as a character a lot, actually. And, you know, something that happens later when the characters are reminiscing about him. I remember remember one time a bunch of people attacked me on Twitter when I was watching Dragon Ball and kind of live tweeting it. And, you know, they were talking, they were reminiscing about him. A bunch of people were like, how could you possibly like him? I was like, I... I mean, I was just... I I think think that's that's an entirely different thing of, like, attacking somebody for liking a thing... I don't know that 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 see that seems a little unwarranted. Yeah, it's like, and I never, I didn't say that his actions were okay or anything like that. I just thought because you know the characters were sad about it, and I'm just like, I'm you know, I was like, oh, that's really sad. And, you know, they're rumin- I was just basically talking about how Toei again um, structured the rat flashback and the music and everything. I was just like, oh, this was a really touching moment, and then I was getting attacked for for Finning Roshi. I was just like. Wow. But he's problematic. You can't like yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> <laughs> Roshi's canceled. <laughs> exactly. He needs to be canceled. I mean, yeah, I get it. I get the idea. I get why people dislike him. But I'm just like, in this moment, I'm not. I'm not focused on the character. I was more focused on how the other characters feel about this character. No, yeah, it it, it is kind of hard because like, and we we did a whole podcast on uh, Dragon Ball Super in particular, and I remember I. I feel like even with a lot of this manga stuff, I feel like Roshi's depiction in Super in particular is probably the worst uh, depiction of Roshi I've ever seen, probably. I I don't know if he does worse things than he does in the manga. Like, his him telling Bulma to, like, show uh, him her panties or 
uh, then trying to peek on her in the bathroom. I mean, what he does with uh, urine, yeah, that is also pretty bad. But like, it's uh, it's also pretty bad in the manga. I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and try to compare <laughs> uh, compare one bad thing to another because they're both bad. I'm just saying that like, Roshi's felt. I don't know, because Super's weird in that, like, you know, there's a lot of flanderization of characters where they basically just rely on one character trait and just and they just kind of roll with it. They they do that with a lot of the characters in Super, and I think that's why I'm, I think that's why I feel a little more negative towards that depiction of Roshi. But I mean, like, I don't know, like, because uh, the, the, the point I'm trying to bring is that, like, we, we spent... Because I feel like I spent a lot of time talking about how, like, oh, man, like, Roshi wasn't that bad in the manga, but that was before I reread the manga. And now that I have reread it, I'm just kind of like, nah, you know, Roshi definitely had his moments, you know, in uh, in the manga especially. But I don't know. Like, I don't want to say they don't feel as bad because I still think they're bad, but it's like, I don't know. I, I feel I feel like there's more of a balance in the manga, at least. Like, like you, you could still like the character. Mm-hmm. Toriyama seems to enjoy writing perverted old men characters. Like, Senbei and Mr. Soon in uh, Dr. Slump are also very perverted older male characters. So that kind of trans- transfers over to Kami Senin. And it's a really unfortunate aspect of his personality. In the anime, I definitely think that they amp it up even more. And now that I remember more of that urine thing, yeah, it's... Man, that was such a bad episode, but and super, but yeah, it's just it's really, really difficult because in Master Roshi's role as a mentor to other characters and then his like actual character arc, like he's one of the best written Dragon Ball characters and he's one of my favorites. Like I love his role in the story of early Dragon Ball, how he's guiding Goku and Kurin to better themselves how he enters the tournament as Jackie Chun to make sure that they have a some they have someone who can beat them so that they will be inspired to continue to push themselves so so they won't co- become complacent yeah yeah and the, how he guides Tenshinhan later to doing the right thing and becoming a better person and then his sacrifice doing it with the knowledge that you know the younger generation will succeed and surpass him if he fails where he fails it's just man Roshi's character arc I it as a kid I, it really compelled me and still to this day like I've I still find it incredibly endearing, and I really love that aspect of his character. It's built on the power of contrast, right? So, like, that's the the initial joke is that you think he's going to be a cool master, but he's this, like, low-life pervert guy. And then you kind of get that idea of him, and then when he becomes, when you see the, like, cool aspects of him, that makes him even cooler, because you're like, oh, I thought he was just a twerp, but he's actually, like, A, powerful, and also, like, sagely, and has... you know, uh, and all that stuff. And so, you know, I think that's to its strengths for sure. And that's, you know, a defense for the pervert jokes, but like, you know, of course it could be written other, he could be shown as sort of a less respectable character in other ways for sure. If this was like written these days, but yeah. And even in Dragon Ball itself, we have examples of uh, similar ideas at play with other mentor characters for Goku, like Karin, who, you know, Goku under Mace, 
underestimates gets oh he's just like some sort of wisecracking cat but oh he's like incredibly agile and also incredibly insightful and then later Kaiosama, where you know he is really in love with jokes and stuff but you know he has a lot to teach goku and to this day even with characters like Whis, like we have these characters who are more than who they appear to be on the surface. They have an incredible amount of wisdom and knowledge they can impart and help Goku uh, learn and grow and better himself, which is something I really like about Dragon Ball. And the Mutant Moshi is a good example of that, like in concept, but in practice, man, I really wish this all the perverse humor with the character was not in the series i i I do i do think just kind of going back to bomber's experience what he was talking about earlier uh and i i'm not saying that everyone necessarily has to agree but like the, the way i see it like i think it's okay to like a problematic character as long as you're not as long as you don't don't totally delude yourself about like you know, about their foibles. Like, it'd be one thing if, like, we all liked Roshi, but never talked about, like, you know, how gross he can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- th- I think this conversation would be so much worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree I agree with you, Colton. Like, I don't, I don't make any illusions of what he does and how it isn't good. I mean, I'm not going to sit here, and, and anybody who feels like, you know, he's he's an awful character or whatever. I totally understand that. I'm not, that's totally fine. Like I get that. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody, well, you're not allowed. Basically I wouldn't tell anybody you're not allowed to feel this way about this character. No, I never do that. Yeah. You can feel however you want. I mean, and again, I could definitely, I can see the argument. Well, no, not even that I can see the argument. It's there. It's right there in the text. (laughs) So it's like, I could see where people wouldn't like him, but at the same time, like, I think just going back to what you guys were saying is that I do like that he is just this contrast of things. I like that one of the things he said, you know, again, uh, I can't wait till we get there, but one of the things he said and they were reminiscing over is like, you should have fun with what you're doing. That just stuck with me. Like, even though he's training, he's obviously using these kids to like do chores for him. (laughs) And (laughs) like, I like that too, that like, but it ends up being kind of training anyway. But I like that one thing he was just like, yeah, you should have fun with your life. I mean, granted, you know, Roshi could stand to have a little less fun, maybe. <laughs> but Because he's not he's not just training them in martial arts. Like, he's, in a way, he's teaching them to be, like, well-rounded people. Yeah. And, you know, like, and again, like, again, like I said, I feel like he could stand to have a little less fun. But I like what he's imparting <laughs> to them, which is, like, life doesn't have to be this thing that has to be difficult. You know, even in training, you can find something in there you enjoy. So, and I, and I, I, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, let's not erase the bad parts of Roshi, but I I do think that Lum said it, you know, summed it up really well that he does have this great character arc in the first Dragon Ball. And I mean, again, everybody pretty much gets shafted in Z if you're not a Saiyan. (laughs) (laughs) But, But yeah. I guess I'll also touch then on uh, speaking of characters who are great in early Dragon Ball who get, you know, shafted later on. Yamcha is, you know, I think that he's... I, I uh, thought that was going to be the end of your sentence. Early arc. <laughs> what? No, no. I mean, Yamcha, I think he makes a great first impression. Like, he's formidable as a rival character to Goku in the Hunt for Dragon Balls arc. Like, he... Because he is... 
a little more uh, intelligent and can uh, scheme his way around, uh, lurking in the background, staying one step behind him so he can just wait for them to collect the dragon for him. But then he ultimately does help end up helping the out more than he hurts them and by the end of the arc you know he is a part of their team and uh, i really like how the arc ends with both bulma and yancha basically getting what their wish was just by finding each other and then getting into a relationship and it's uh, kind of unfortunate that that relationship gets uh undone later on it, it was out uh, of convenience but- though yeah, <laughs> but it's it's a nice resolution to like what those characters' wants were in that first arc, and I think Yamcha from there also, even though for the longest time I had joked about how oh Yamcha was always a jobber meant to set up more uh, powerful characters. I think that Yamcha is actually treated with quite a lot of respect in the early story arcs, even when he does lose. Yeah. I think especially like something that stands out in the 23rd Budokai is when he fights literally God, Kamisama. And yes, he gets clowned on a little bit because Kamisama headbutts him in the crotch. But he also gets to show off how skilled a martial artist he is like he has a good fight with kamisama kamisama gives him mentally advice he shows off his spirit ball which is a really cool technique and at the end you know you know kamisama is respecting him and he is you know yamcha is humbled by uh the wisdom that he has taught to him and i thought that was actually a really good showcase of yamcha's you know actual capabilities even if he does lose that fight and i feel the same way about a lot of his other uh, fights and losses in this early parts of the series like he, even though he loses like he still has a lot of intelligence about the world of martial arts and he is perceptive and even when he's put in a situation of danger you know he will he won't give up like in the piccolo arc you know his leg is broken but he still decides to hop on a plane and head to the battle to like fight and help tension on so it's like he's still a very admirable heroic character like he has a great characterization and he's presented as like respectable and you know someone who is like genuinely heroic and it's kind of a shame that you know by the time you get to the cell arc and that's really where Yamcha's character assassinated to the point where he he becomes the joker he's not today where we have Yamcha first of all like He's said to have cheated on Bulma, which is why Bulma broke up with him, which is kind of like a complete reversal of like what we see through the series up to that point where Bulma is the one who is kind of like very quick to hit on other men. We actually like see that frequently where just the idea of, oh, is Jackie Chan cute? Just by the name, she's like infatuated with him. And then, of course, with General Blue, like he, when he, he, he first sees him, she like, <laughs> like slobbers all over him. But yeah, so like they, so in Cell Arc, Yansha is like said, oh, to be a cheater. And then like he's the first to get attacked by androids. And then very quickly he gives up on fighting at all. And then for the rest of the series, like he doesn't ever attempt to fight again. And it's just kind of unfortunate to see characters like Yansha just kind of be thrown away like that and kind of be put under the bus, you know, as new characters come in and as Toriyama loses interest in them. But honestly, after rereading the manga, I really do think early Yamcha the early arcs is like a really likable uh, and really 
enjoyable character, even though he does not win a whole lot. Yeah, I like him a lot in this first arc, especially. But I think that comes down to he has like a funny character quirk of being uh, freezing up around women and stuff like that. And once you strip that away, he's kind of left with this kind of like the only funny character quirk about him is that he's like a pretty boy. Um, And which I guess led Toriyama to eventually (laughs) come to the conclusion that it would be funny to say that he cheated on Bulma or something. But like, so, yeah. I, I like him a lot, but I think as time goes on, he becomes kind of a bit more of a boring character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's honestly. interesting because I think that his character transitions from the first arc to the later, to the, in the martial arts tournament arcs, where he becomes the one who is like knowledgeable about the world of martial arts and can provide info and exposition about, oh, this is this, ca- this guy's famous for this reason. And then in the 21st Madoka, he's like, suspicious about Jackie Chun's true identity is trying to out him as Master Roshi. And then in the... I I think that there's still, like, some interesting things to it, Yamcha, that is being done. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, But, yeah, I, I get, that is another thing with Dragon Ball, is that as Toriyama comes up with new characters, that does make older characters more superfluous. And so a lot of characters who provide a certain role in the series end up getting replaced by new characters who end up serving the same role, but are either more stronger or more interesting. This happens with uh, Goku having like a best friend slash right-hand man kind of person, a confidant where he would like, you know, to say, okay, you know, I will tell you things that I will not tell the other characters. For, uh, originally, like, or at least in the Piccolo arcs, it's Tenshinhan. Tenshinhan is like the second strongest after Goku. And so uh, he will play the assist. He plays the assist role to Goku in the fight with King Piccolo. And then when they meet Piccolo Jr., Goku tells him first before anyone else that, yeah, he's like related to Piccolo. Keep this a secret for now. And then then Piccolo ends up replacing that role that Tenshinhan occupied. And he becomes the person that Goku like relies on and is like, okay, we're going to come up with plans to, to fight these guys. Uh, I need your help. I have this plan. Can you buy some time for me? Oh, you overheard this stuff about the androids? Okay, well, let's keep this part a secret, but then we can tell the other parts to the rest of them. So he, Piccolo takes what was in Shannon's role, and then by the end of the series, Vegeta has taken Piccolo's role as, like, Goku's second, like, his confidant rival. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of at the point now where you could kind of consider Vegeta, like, the the secondary main character. And it's really interesting because until like the last couple chapters of the series, until like that last fight with Kid Buu, Vegeta really isn't presented that way as the second most important character in the series. He's definitely a important character, but his role is very unique as like this antagonist in the protagonist group. Like he is fights with the heroes, but he's still very much kind of a villainous character, and he often causes more problems than he solves. Yeah. So he has an interesting role that it, it was kind of unique for uh, the space he occupies in the Frieza cell and early boot arcs. But yeah, I mean, the completion of his character arc is into becoming more of a hero, and that does end up 
end up having him become Goku's second, succeeding as both like his right hand and rival character, replacing basically Piccolo by the end of the Boo arc, which can probably be attributed to his popularity also, and due to like I guess his relative strength to other characters. Sorry, I, I know this is completely kind of unrelated to what we're talking about, but um, I do want to mention before we completely move on from the first arc, just my possibly one of my favorite jokes in the series is uh, when uh, when Ro- when they first meet Roshi for the first time, and uh, be- because they return uh, his his pet sea turtle or whatever, uh, he tries to give him uh, a phoenix, but the phoenix died oh, from yeah. food poisoning. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's still one of my favorite jokes in the entire series but um i think um so we, we were kind of talking about the first tournament a little bit do we have any thoughts on the uh on the on the i, I guess it's the 21st tournament in particular because it's it's a pretty straightforward tournament arc like I, I feel i feel like i feel like the tournaments get better as they go on that's interesting because the 21st Budokai is probably my favorite, I think. Really? Because one thing you include with it is the training. And this That's true, training yeah. with the mutant Roshi and with Current is very unique because it's the only time we really see extended training in the series. And I love the routine that goes through. I love the milk run. I love training from running with swimming, running from the shark and trying to avoid the bees and pushing the boulder. I love the routine that the master that the mutant Roshi puts them through. Some some real like karate kid stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's really satisfying that you know, after after the results of training, they take off the heavy turtle shells and they jump up in the air and they see, oh my gosh, we become like so much stronger now. This is unbelievable. And then we see them put those results into action in the tournament and even though they've gotten so much stronger, we can see that, oh, there are other people in this world who can keep up with them and give them trouble. And there's a lot of really fun characters in the tournament. Uh, in one of the unique things is that the 21st Budokai is kind of the only tournament where we have a match between two completely unknown characters to us at that point, Nam and Lanfan. And that's kind of fun. But also, I love all those early fights where it's just, it really focuses more on the comedy slapstick style of fighting than like on more the serious combat. But I really like that stuff. I really like clever things like Goku using the King to one to help him get back into the ring. And then like just kind of the whole spirit of that where it's like very gag driven. And man, like uh, I love like Kokurin versus Jackie Chun where like they clash like and it's a brief instance and then they have to reenact to the audience everything that they did in like 2.2 seconds or whatever it's just amazing that's maybe my favorite joke from the series (laughs) it it is pretty funny yeah yeah. that that was (laughs) I just love the fact that you know it feels like Toriyama is trying to get out of drawing his fight but then he just like goes around it <laughs> he ends up having to draw it anyway but in, in, in the context that he draws it is like it's actually funnier that like it, it almost feels as if he was like okay that's the fight and everybody's like what it's like oh god <laughs> okay here we go from the start <laughs> it just it feels like i don't know if that's what he's thinking obviously but i just like the idea of toriyama saying okay i'm trying to get out of doing a fight by having them fight like off screen basically and then the audience in the series being 
the audience are us reading like but we want to know what happened uh, to toriyama thought he could just kind of draw a bunch of scribbles and just be, <laughs> be done with it <laughs> and yeah then we're like no we, we want to know what happened and i could just imagine him like maybe even his editor maybe that's what he wanted to do <laughs> and his editor's like you know that's not gonna fly and then i could just imagine him sighing and redrawing the whole chapter <laughs> and just just to you know show this fight <laughs> all right i'll go scene by scene <laughs> That's the kind of like meta humor that like I feel like he's pulling over from Doctor Slump. That's the kind of stuff that he yeah. would trade in in that series where he's like, "Oh, it would be cool if they fought so fast nobody could see it." But then, you know, but then that's a problem because nobody could see it, and then and you just kind of build from there. <laughs> yeah, this this I think this arc is very important for uh, introducing Kuririn, right? Yes, yeah, that's for sure. A character Toriyama didn't plan to be a major character, but became so popular and uh, integral to the story that. Yeah, it's just amazing how much Kurovin adds. He's like the heart of the series in a lot of ways, I think. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, 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 that is actually true. I hadn't thought about it that way, but when you think about it, I mean, going going all the way to Z, you know, the legendary moment, like Goku went Super Saiyan, Goku went Super Saiyan because he died, so. That's <laughs> true, yeah. And so you could say, like, even though Krillin ends up getting kind of also shafted later, for uh, for the Saiyans, like he still is a big. I mean, even then, he's kind of a big part of the series. He's still yeah, around. He's still yeah, around. He, yeah, he plays a good support role throughout the series. In contrast to characters who kind of end up disappearing or don't get involved in later story arcs, like Yamcha or Tenshinhan. Like Kuririn, even though he's not a fighter or he doesn't participate. Uh, too much in the combat of later arcs in the series like he's still very involved in the story and his decisions still have an impact in the story particularly in the cell arc the choice not to turn off 18 is an important decision that has consequences mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting to contrast him with the these characters that you're talking about being like goku's confidants like he's maybe not powerful enough that goku feels comfortable like bringing him in to these kind of big conflicts but He's still like very important to Goku, and you can their friendship is like one of the most important things throughout the series. Plus, I just like that Krillin is yeah. like this, the wisecracker. Like he, he, he's just like <laughs> he's the one that like provides the snark. Like because you know Goku's not gonna yeah. do it, <laughs> but like I mean, first that kind of fell to Bulma. But then when she isn't around, I think Krillin does is really great. Even when she is there, he's like. <laughs> being very snide a lot of the times, even as a kid, and I kind of, I kind of like that. Like that's part of his character, just being this kind of like he's like the anchor to reality in some ways, but yeah. <laughs> but he also, he, but he does it in a way that's just very. It, it isn't. It doesn't seem very superfluous. He's like there, like commenting on the stuff that we're. Pro- he's probably saying what we're thinking sometimes. Like, and, and I, <laughs> I really like that about his character. But yeah, I, I do have to, I, I'll take it back then. Yeah, he is, I mean, yeah, he's not a fighter, like you said, but he is definitely still very much involved in the Dragon Ball, like, pathos throughout the entire series. I love the way he's drawn in this early part. He's so short and squat that it's, it's very appealing to me. <laughs> and he has big uh, eyebrows. Yeah, big eyebrows. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was I was just going to say, like, he's pretty involved, really, up until, like, really the boost stuff, he's not really as involved. Mm-hmm. But he's still he's still like yeah, around. I mean, he's like protecting his daughter. Yeah, I mean he he's there to know, learn about Bobbity and all that stuff, but then he gets turned to stone and all that. But 
Yeah. He's also there to point out when Toriyama uses the same three pages in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great game. I mean, yeah, he's kind of like the everyman kind of character. So, like, he has this close relationship to Goku, but he also can kind of feel like, oh, this is like a normal person just kind of getting caught up in the craziness of this battle between these super powerful beings. So he's like very relatable in that respect of like, I'm just trying to survive in this power struggle. But to go back to the 21st Bidokai, I think another reason why it's probably my favorite of the Bidokais is just the narrative tread, the the thematic tread of the mutant Roshi, you know, what he's trying to teach to Goku that there's always someone stronger and then the kind of that kind of creates a really interesting tension in the final match where we're kind of on Roshi's perspective throughout that fight like go he's kind of the underdog almost in the fight with Goku because he is very desperately trying to win the fight so he can make his point to Goku but Goku is much stronger than he anticipated so he keeps having to break out new techniques and goku keeps surprising him so it's really interesting uh match in the series because you know on one hand goku is the protagonist like you're supposed to want him to win but on the other hand we're really seeing this fight and we really have gotten to know the mutant roshi and what he wants for these characters and so we are kind of also rooting for him to win and i really love that dynamic so unique compared to many other fights in the series like that dynamic going into it of like reader expectation versus what might actually happen and like what we're like invested in seeing happening and i i really really love that it's, and to me it's really really satisfying just the, how close the end is too that literally it was just roshi being able to land just a strong enough blow and get up just fast enough before goku that he was able to win like i love that yeah, it's so great. It makes it completely satisfying to read a story where the hero loses. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that was uh, that was a really important thing for me reading uh, reading the beginning of Dragon Ball after being so used to Z was that like you know uh, r- really r- yeah really up until Z like you, you, you and I think this is what I love about uh, all the tournament arcs is that you. Like, when you get the Z, you, you kind of get to this point where it's like, okay, you kind of know that, like, Goku's going to win. Like, he's going to struggle. He's going to have a hard time, you know, fighting against wh- whoever he's fighting. But, like, you kind of know at the end of... You, you kind of realize at the end of the day he's going to win. Whereas, like, in the beginning, you know, for the first, like, almost 200 chapters or so, you know, whenever he... During certain fights, you you don't know whether he's going to make it out or not. Like, I think... uh kind of jumping ahead to the red ribbon arc like i think one of my favorite fights in that arc is his fight with uh with tao pai pai where yes. you know yeah. oh, i love tile pai pai like when i first <laughs> read that fight i was like oh shit he took him out like i i, di- I didn't realize like like I, I was not used to seeing goku lose so badly in some of these fights like it, it's just kind of it like i i think goku Goku's journey as a child is probably his most inter- like or probably where some of his most interesting adventures come from because For like sure. he's he's still learning how to fight and he's not he's strong but he's not as like he's not a god yet like he's still he's still a mere alien baby you know? <laughs> I mean he does plow through most of his opponents in the early, in early Dragon Ball like 
there are a lot of fights in the series where it is very easy to him, but Tao Pai Pai is a very important moment because that is the first time where, you know, he uses the Kamehameha and it just does not work against an opponent at all. And then he could have died if the Dragon Ball was not like over his heart in his in his coat. His, uh, his, his grandpa was watching over him. Oh. Yeah, no, and that's another important thematic point is that literally his grandpa has saved him. Like his quest for his dragon the Dragon Ball and like just the connection he had to his grandfather, that saved him. And that also plays into the end of the arc with the fortune teller Baba stuff where he gets closure with his grandfather. So like that's that's a huge thing to the red ribbon arc if like we want to transition to there, is that Yeah, what do we yeah, I'm I'm really curious how we feel about the Red Ribbon arc because I've I've never talked to anyone who like loves that arc. Oh well, well we are right now. I don't know how <laughs> you have gone this long. I mean, you've been talking to me for so many years. The Red Ribbon Army arc. I'm just gonna say this outright: is my favorite arc. Hey, same. Wow. If please. I could high, if I could high five Lum right now, I I would because it is hands down. <laughs> awesome. Hands yes. Down. I mean, clearly, me and you don't know each other that well then, because that's my favorite art in Dragon Ball. <laughs> like, everything about Red Ribbon is like, that. that is the reason why I prefer Dragon Ball over Z. Like, that that arc. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's everything about what I love about Shonen. It's a big adventure with these villains that are just, you know, bad guys and everything like that. You get... Things are constantly escalating. Yeah, they constantly escalate. As, as we were just talking about Goku there. I mean, yeah, he plows through a lot of them. But, like, even then, it's really entertaining because these are guys that, like, I mean, up until now, like, villain-wise, we haven't really had anybody that is, like, you know, of course, Pilaf is more of a joke than a villain. And up until now, I mean, we had the tournament, but those guys weren't villains, per se. Then we get this whole shadow organization. (laughs) And, like, even though, yeah, Goku gets through a lot of the fights pretty handily without much of a problem, it's still entertaining to see him take a, a take on these guys that are like, first they're like, oh, he's just some kid. And then as the stakes get higher, higher, they realize, oh, shit, he's not just some kid. <laughs> ah, man, <laughs> just, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm so I'm so mixed about the, the, the ending of that arc because, like, it, it really just boils down to him just, like, taking out the entire headquarters by himself, which on one well, hand. That's awesome, though. I know. I, I'm not saying it's not awesome. Don't get me wrong. I love just seeing Goku plow through guys. That's a, that's entertaining in and of itself. Though, I I wonder what it would have been like if the other characters had actually shown up. Like, I would have liked to see, like, a group fight. I think that would have been cool, but, you know. Yeah, I, I, I could get that. That's true, but, like, I think that it, it Goku, throughout this journey, is the one who has been getting into conflict with the Red Ribbon Army, and, like, other characters have got it involved as he's, like, going out and collecting Dragon Balls and encountering them, but it's really, Goku has developed this uh, antagonistic relationship with the Red Ribbon Army, like, they've become his enemies, and now finally like he's he's like after like beating Tao and to get the last Ramos he's like okay now I'm finally going to confront these guys and take them down to, for good after all these repeated encounters so to me it worked really well and I think it's really satisfying that he takes down the entire Red Ribbon Army on its own. I, You know, one thing I really love about the progression of the Red Ribbon Army arc, though, is how Goku increasingly fights officers in the army of a higher rank. Like, we start with Colonel Silver, who, you know, I love Colonel Silver anime, where he is presented as, like, this badass, and his forces do, like, really cause a lot of havoc and 
destruction. But in the manga, I one thing I really like about the presentation there is that Colonel Silver is just like kind of a schlub. Like he has these guys are searching for Dragon Balls. They're not that good at their job. But Goku beats him with one punch. And then from there, we have the stuff with Muscle Tower. And so we fight, like, Major Metatron, Major Murasake, guys of increasingly higher ranks until he gets to the generals, like General White, General Blue. Then, you know, as he's gotten past generals, they hire an outside assassin to take him down. And then after that, then he goes to the headquarters and fights the commanders. And I love just that escalation there of like he's increasingly fighting, you know, uh, higher and higher rank members of the army. The story also moves around so many different locations. I mean, it's what I loved about the first arc, too. But here, like, there is so many distinct places that Goku visits. Like, the snow-covered place. And then he fights inside this tower, which has, like, this entire room inside of it that is, like, uh, kind of a Japanese forest or whatever. (laughs) Like inside of it, with a pond and house and everything, and then he goes to the city, West City, like, and then he goes to a pirate cave, uh, which has robots and ships and all sorts of things, and then he goes to like this forest where this this giant tower and this it looks very much like a North American kind of forest, and then he goes to Red Ribbon Compound. Like he goes through so many different locations in the stretch of chapters that I just absolutely love, and they're drawn so beautifully too. You forgot to mention Penguin Village. Yeah, Penguin Village too. Another just amazing place to go. So many unique locations and so many unique characters Goku meets along the way that a lot of them don't come back in the story, but they're it just adds a lot of flavor to like this kind of world traveling adventure that Goku kind of helps out a bunch of different people around the way or about some people he meets strangers they end up helping him and i just love those little interactions like just small things like a mouse that helps goku break general blue's concentration that he ends up rescuing in turn just small things like that small interactions i just love in this arc too i have a funny aside about that mouse okay (laughs) so like i said i was in that mailing list group that email group And there was a lot of topics that would come up a lot or like, who are your favorite characters? What are your favorite fights or whatever? And this guy that was kind of like an older dude that was a little bit more jaded and and was not into these kinds of things always would say, my favorite character was the pirate mouse, the pirate mouse. And (laughs) I was envisioning a mouse wearing like pirate gear because like you know the way that dragon ball is i was just like oh that's so funny he picked he's picking this minor character this pirate mouse and then when i finally read this section of the story i was like oh it's literally just a mouse like (laughs) (laughs) um but uh yeah but i also uh this is my favorite uh story arc as well um yeah i i think that it's kind of my ideal uh of dragon ball especially if we're uh including uh the tournament baba's tournament at the end too because like you get the adventure and exploration of the first arc and the more of the action of the second arc but it what it has against the kind of stuff that comes after it is Goku is still very innocent. This is his first time seeing the world. And so you still get a lot of these great jokes that were in the like first arc or so of like Goku, not understanding things and things like that. 
and he's still just a little kid, which is what makes it really fun to see him. I think as I my perspectives are changing about the series, like my favorite parts are when Goku's still a little kid because it's just exciting to see someone so you know minuscule uh, toppling huge armies or big opponents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, fun. I one hundred percent agree with that. And also, I'm just thinking uh, one thing. I I don't know if I got this far in my manga read. But one thing I love about the anime, like the end of the Red Ribbon Army, is the fact that he's just in midair, like destroying all of these ships and everything like that. Like watching it when I was younger and Z on DVD, that always gets me pumped. Like, like I mean, this is not the older Goku who could easily fly up and fire beams and all of these things and that'd be it. Like, he's having to do, like, fighting the entire army by himself. Like, that sequence is always something, I'm definitely at the reading the manga to see how that was handled, but I just love how it was done in the anime. Like, it, that always, that never fails to get me pumped. And I, and I feel like it is kind of like the classic shonen formula. A lot of, we know that a lot of, like, um, current artists were inspired by Dragon Ball, and it is just the fact that it was this build-up of you know, Goku starting from the bottom and then getting to the top and defeating the whole organization. You see that story told lots of times in different other different shonen manga, and I mean, whether it's Jump or any magazine. And I feel like Dragon Ball, I won't say Dragon Ball invented it, but I feel like it did kind of like distill it into this very entertaining thing mm-hmm. that yeah. the main mm-hmm. character meets up with the shadowy organization, fights all of their best men. I mean, I agree with Colton, though, and I'm glad we're having discussions so we can have these in perspective. Yeah, I, I think back on it now, and it would have been nice to see other characters get involved, but I, I, I'm not unhappy with how things rolled out. I guess. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're not involved. I'm, I'm when I say that, I specifically mean like the very last like confrontation with the yeah, actual yeah, headquarters yeah, yeah. No, of the what, army that's what i mean yeah, yeah i get what you I, and i agree with you in some extent it would have been nice to see them help goku take on that final you know the final um confrontation with them but again yeah. i mean on, just to kind of give them something to do yeah exactly well i think that's what's nice about the tournament with baba is that goku is able to bring his friends together to help him on really the last thing he needs to do to complete this journey and get that final dragon ball and even though, like, not all of them are able to win fights, uh, it, it still feels like the gang comes together for the end of this story, which I think is really nice. And Puar and Upa versus the vampire is just amazing <laughs> gag yeah. fights. Like, I, one thing that's great about this arc is that it's able to really have some really strong fights that mix comedy and action. Like, I think that those are some of the best in the series, for sure. But it's also, like, the first arc where we get into some of the more dramatic stuff that Dragon Ball will explore later on with the death of Bora and that, and then Goku being spurred on the heroic journey now of now he's going to get the Dragon Balls to revive, like, the friend of the dead father of his friend and then... Of course, you know, that confrontation, that initial confrontation with Pao with him kind of first, like, outright losing, like, just immediately is really, really impactful. But, yeah, I just, I I think this is a huge character arc for Goku, especially, like, him coming into his own. And I think it was so important because in the first two arcs, Goku was kind of strung along. Like, he was kind of going place to place at the direction of other characters. 
And in this arc, we see him really being proactive. We're really spending the most time with him and seeing him make his own decisions and really fully like exploring the world on his own and becoming confident in doing that and like really growing from that again going on this journey to collect his grandfather's ball and then you know reuniting with his grandfather and showing like how far he's come from the boy who used to be in the the mountains and like that to me is just so so powerful and just so satisfying oh yeah just see seeing goku like tear up like that's not that's not something he normally does very often it's it's very it's very rare to see goku so emotional but when he is it's always very it's like it's it's hard not to get caught up in that you know yeah Baba's tournament is one of my favorite tournaments in the series because it's very funny. Oh, yeah. It has like classic movie monsters, which I love. <laughs> but then speaking of emotional moments, you know, we get him to reunite with his uh, grandfather, which is like a very big moment. And uh, yeah, it, it puts a really good kind of emotional pin on it. Like I could see ending the series after this arc, basically, and that being pretty satisfying, you know. Yeah, I, actually, I, I could see that, too. Um, I want to mention my favorite gag in which, again, it's another problematic one, but it is I don't I don't know if I want to admit it. It's 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 kind of a big reason why uh, I actually have this volume in Japanese. Uh, and it's it's the gag where uh, Yamcha's fighting the yeah, Invisible Man. I knew you man. were about to say that yeah. one. And, uh, <laughs> I knew it. And, 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 and Krillin, and, and yeah, Kr- Krillin gets the idea to basically bring Roshi and Bulma to meticulously set them up for a nosebleed gag to help Yamcha. It's again, it's one of those things where it's like you know you are sexualizing Bulma, and she's in a situation she didn't ask to be in, obviously. But it's like I just love the way the gag is set up. It's just, it's hard not to laugh at it. I love the way Toriyama uses gags in fights, not just a nosebleed bag, but earlier in the first tournament when Goku tells Kerwin, hey, you don't have a noise. Your bacterian smell can't affect you. <laughs> like, just Toriyama pulling in, like, these classic visual gags or like these classic tropey gags and actually incorporate them into the story in like a really clever way is just so awesome to me yeah it was it's definitely that's the epitome of what you were what we were saying earlier where it's like ah you don't want like you don't like the components of the gag but the setup is so good that you can't help but just say like again it's a it's a well-constructed joke yeah it's like yeah as you say he just it's the the dichotomy of a toriyama it's like i don't like what you did with this but you did it but you executed so well that i have to respect you for it (laughs) (laughs) so man and uh i think yeah the the action in this tournament is really good too especially with uh not not just not just uh Goku's fight with with Gohan but like you know uh I tweeted about a particular moment during his fight with uh I guess we're going to call him Akuman Akuman because if we if we call him Devil Man things will get confusing <laughs> um but uh yeah his fight with Akuman where uh I think it's after he uses his devil might beam and obviously Goku's too pure of heart for that to have any effect and then uh Goku uses one final kick and it's so powerful that like we don't we don't see the impact of the of his blows and we just kind of smash cut to him like in the wall and you know we have Roshi going on about how like how fast Goku is that he couldn't even like he couldn't even see the action happen and I, and I like the way Toriyama handles that because we don't get to see it either so we're just as lost as all the spectators which I think is interesting mm-hmm. 
Like, like he he clearly he like you know people go on about how like lazy Toriyama is, but like he thinks about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was definitely an artistic choice. The laziness is a thing that Toriyama like presents as his funny personality. That it's Toriyama's not lazy. He did this entire series with like usually one assistant who would just come in once a week and fill in blacks. So like, yeah, you know. He was doing 14 he, He's a very a hardworking for, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for 11 years. And only a two-month break between this and Dr. Slump. So if you factor that in, he was continuously drawing manga pretty much for 16 years. Like, he worked himself really hard. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm, I liked laughing at his, like, I'm so lazy jokes and, and thinking about the funny situations of him complaining about his editors and saying, I don't want to work and all this stuff. But I, I get very defensive when I hear other people kind of use it against him. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's know. funny. It's just, I, yeah, I, 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 I've been into the lazy jokes, but I feel like it's, I always say a sloth is the mother of invention. I mean, it's, <laughs> and it's like, it's because he was, whether you want to call him lazy or intuitive, whichever one you want to go with, but it's because he wanted to take shortcuts that we got some of the things that we got from him. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, pretty I, much. I, I, I can't really, really complain about it, even if it is true that he was just being lazy. It's just, we, what, we got so much out of that laziness that can we really be mad at that? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's, Definitely, I, I I definitely agree with like what you a lot the 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 Baba art the Baba tournament was was a lot of fun and especially again where you know meeting his grandfather and everything like that and then I agree with every pretty much what you guys were saying which is that when Goku gets emotional it's hard not to get emotional with him because he's usually just a very straightforward kind of character it is or it isn't so when we get something where that's out of that you know normal the normal way he reacts to things it's like oh wow okay you have to sit up and pay attention Mm -hmm. but i guess do we want to move on to like the 22nd tournament because i'll be honest so i think uh you guys were talking about you know how red ribbon is your guys's favorite arc um i'm gonna say that everything between the 22nd tournament and the end of the saiyan saga is like my favorite portion of dragon ball like no question it is a really strong portion of the series, like this, these, this entire stretch of arcs. And this is where we kind of have that kind of shift in tone where Dragon Ball becomes a little more serious in terms of the stakes of now we are dealing with the consequences of the debt of you know major characters. And also, you know, the conflict puts the entire world at risk. And it's... Interesting because, you know, this is, st- uh, we're in this stretch, uh, where we- the stakes are like that, that dramatic, but it's before we get to the freeze arc and we have, you know, this entire tropes of transformations and kind of th- that power back and forth that kind of defines the rest of the series, like still in the, in this stretch of, you know, the Piccolo and Cyan arcs. It really, the struggles are really more desperate. It's not as dependent on the, those power-ups. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just to talk about the 22nd Budokai, like, this is one I really loved as a kid because I really loved Tenshin on Han's character arc and also the continuation of Master Roshi's role as a mentor and becoming kind of that a mentor to Tenshin on 
to like convince them to walk the, a more righteous path as a martial artist and off the path of the assassin that the Sora Sending is training him up to be. Mm-hmm. And I like that Turtle School Crane School rivalry in the, in this arc a whole lot. I think it's an interesting dynamic, and I think that the Sora Sending is a good foil, a good kind of devil on tension on shoulder, and it's really satisfying to see him break free, and then to see. You know, him refuse the service ending and then have Master Roshi blast the service ending away before he could cause any harm. Like, that's really satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. And this also incorporates a lot of really good fights. I think this, these are some of the strongest matches in terms of... They're not all gag matches, but, like, in terms of combat and, like, the the back and forth between the characters and how even they are. It's really, really strong. And Yamcha Tenshinan is one of the best fights for both characters, I think, uh, in terms of, like, how evenly matched they are. But also, ultimately, how Tenshinan gets the upper hand in Yamcha and, like, kind of brutally crushes his leg, which kind of... It gets Goku kind of involved in like avenging Yamcha and actually wanting to beat Tenshin on, which is really a really strong like emotional hook for Goku for that. And then of course Goku versus Kurin is really satisfying to see these two who have trained together now go up against each other and kind of show off what they've learned and like use what they know about the other against them and then kind of show that oh, Goku has surprised everyone's expectations by training his weakness that, you know, he kind of realized at uh, during his fight with Gohan earlier. And so that's another really great fight. And I, I, li- I yeah, like... these are just strong. I'm sorry, just, oh. to, just while we're talking about Goku versus Krillin, like, I, I really... I really like the uh, the moment where, uh, where Krillin does the, hey, look over there! And then he just elbows him yeah. in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, taking advantage of goku's naivete like the i really like uh, krillin just y- using what he knows about goku uh to his advantage in that fight mm-hmm. like it's really good show showing for him and yeah I, this is a really strong tournament arc. I, like i like the first tournament more because the training and the n- narrative tread of the mutant what the mutant roshi is trying to teach goku but like i think that the stuff and the stuff showcasing like how these characters have grown in the Trace Bidokai and emphasizing the point that the mutant Roshi is kinda trying to come to that, you know, oh, I don't need to worry anymore. Like the future generation is surpassing me and that they've kinda taken my lessons to heart and I don't need to worry about them. I can bow out peacefully and let the new era go on. And I thought that's a really strong message. This is probably my favorite Budokai of just on tournament alone i mean it is a good one yeah probably the only weak match in it is goku versus pan put which i think that you know you could have done something more with that slot than like goku because that's kind of a repeat of what goku did with king chopper earlier in the preliminaries like him beating like uh someone who's supposed to be reputed have the reputation of being a really skilled fighter and then goku one shots him until until he fights king chopper again in the next tournament (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think though in the anime like that's a really fun one because they add extra context to like pomput is his movie star and like his managers like kidnap goku to so that he doesn't you know get to the fight but then launch rest kind of rescues goku by accident 
because she bought him an ice cream and she wants to give it to him. So in the <laughs> anime, I like it a lot. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, I, I think I... I mean, uh, honestly, like, T- Tenshinhan, quite obviously, is, is the MVP of this arc. Because, yeah. you know, he is... He is this, like, antagonistic character, which, again, when I first read this part of the series, I was like, oh, he used to be a bad guy. I didn't know that. <laughs> and I, I thought that was really interesting to, to see him, like, kind of kind of learn the error of his ways and see that he doesn't he doesn't have to be this evil asshole. Yeah, Tenshinhan is one of my favorites because, like, he is being trained up to follow in the footsteps of Tao and being raised to use his martial arts to inflict harm and pain but then he like kind of discovers the love of fighting for the sake of betterment as a martial artist and developing the honor code of a martial artist and he decides to pursue that over his master's like murderous intentions and i like that struggle of morality in tenshinan i think that in the manga it's a little much for them to call the chin on like outright evil and the master ocean like kind of preach at him to be like oh renounce your evil ways because in the manga like he doesn't we don't see him go too far this is another thing that is a little stronger in the anime where there's like more time in, in the tournament and there's like more like establishment of what tension on has done and then what the crane hermit is trying to do, like actively trying to murder Goku in his sleep in the anime. So like, yeah, because because re- really the only thing tension on gets to do to show off how bad he is, is he 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 breaks Yamcha's leg and, and I mean that's that's terrible, but like yeah i i I could see i could see how the anime would have room to kind of flesh out whatever evil deeds he's done like maybe in the past or something that that does sound interesting i think it's good to pull in tao pai pai though like the fact that they reference him and they show the reverence that he has for him like gives you context for where his mindset is you know yeah and there's a great payoff to his character arc in the 23rd but okay where he you know is confronted with tao pai pai confronted with his past basically and then he rejects him outright and shows that he's come so far beyond Tao that Tao can't really do much to him but he still leaves a scar on tension on like a scar across the chest <laughs> that he cares for the rest of the series that's kind of like a reminder of the kind of person he used to be but that fight you know he by defeating Tao he's kind of outright finally rejected his past and shown how much he's grown as a martial artist and that is a really, really good fight thematically and for his character arc. So I think he, he Tenshana really is at his strongest in the 22nd through the end of the 23rd. Like he, again, that's, he elev- becomes like Goku's rival slash second during this arc. But also like his character arc is one of the stronger ele- narrative treads pulling those arcs together, I think. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think, uh, Goku versus Tension on is probably one of my favorite fights from this tournament in yeah, particular. Like I, definitely. I remember the first time reading this and like really thinking like, oh yeah, this is close, but like Goku has to win this one, right? And then it, it, it just it, it just comes down to who can fall from the air fast enough yes. to to touch the ground, and then he gets hit by a truck. <laughs> and I remember. I remember reading that and thinking, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, what a good uh, twist, you know, like, it's so great. And it's and it's also very unexpected for Goku to lose the second. You're like, okay, he lost the last one. Now he's going to finally win one. And it's great because it still gives him something to strive for. It's really cool. It, it, it's just, and it, it kind of 
like pays into Toriyama still like I mean this part of Dragon Ball still being yeah it, the stakes are a little more serious but it's still you know Toriyama's like it's still kind of a gag manga I mean what would, what's funnier than having the main character lose because he got hit by a car <laughs> in a martial arts manga <laughs> so, I mean there's a great gag moment in the fight itself where they really play on the idea of like the after image technique like oh now I'm behind you no I'm behind you oh, yeah and it's like just that that succession of ridiculous how fast they're moving to create these aftermares to get behind the other. It's just really, really funny. <laughs> that, that's such a great play on like that because that's obviously like a really funny trope in like shonen manga. Oh, one of my favorite fights, speaking of gag stuff, is, is Chiaotzu versus Kuririn or Krillin. Or yeah. Like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go out and say, like, I'm my mouth is still more comfortable when I'm speaking English saying Krillin, so, like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for all the switching back and forth between, like, names and stuff, but, like, uh, it's, it's going to happen. We grew up with the English dub. Yeah. This series has a really, like, weird history of, like, lots of different various like agreed on names both in official outlets and unofficial outlets and it's it's pretty messy and i i find myself saying lots of different stuff because i honestly don't talk about it out loud a whole lot like um i mostly talk about it online yeah and like we 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 know we know like krillin's name is actually kuridin but like i it's like joey said like i feel so much more comfortable saying krillin yeah (laughs) for 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 the longest time it, it took me a long time to 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 transition from TN to tension hot. Oh yeah, no, I was a big anti TN thing <laughs> when I was a kid. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but anyway, that that fight with Chiaotzu is so good, uh, so funny. Chiaotzu and Krillin, um, yeah, so funny. It is, it is pretty good. I like I like how Chiaotzu doesn't get like jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Them explain to him, uh, and the fight's so good because like. Kurin gets Chaozu to like break his concentration by asking him a Mac question, and then Chaozu tries to do the same thing to Kurin, but Kurin answers the Mac question, and Chaozu is stunned because like, whoa, how did he know that? <laughs> I, I, that? That goes back to what I was saying about Krillin's character. He's just like to do underhanded stuff like that, like where everybody else is like doing straight up martial arts. I mean, it makes Krillin. It just makes him more relatable too. That like. <laughs> He's the guy that would probably bring a weapon to a martial arts fight because he's like, listen, I gotta win this. <laughs> I mean, and his weapon in choice is math. And I mean, we all hate math. <laughs> so, so, it's true. I don't like math. I mean, um. I just like that about Krillin that he is like, it's, I mean, I, okay, maybe I'm being a, embellishing a bit by saying underhanded, but still, he uses really clever techniques to keep up with everybody. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and, and I no, like totally. that about him. I, I really do like that about him. Earlier on, he's a lot more kind of snarky and sneaky and stuff, for sure. Like, a different kind of character than he grows into being. Yeah, Krillin really mellows out throughout the run of Dragon Ball. Yeah. And I got a shout out to Man Wolf, too, as far as, like, gag uh, fights. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good fight. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that fight now. It's just like, and the punchline being, you look better as a wolf. <laughs> yeah he really was better off um but uh i mean unless we have anything else to say i i kind of want to just move on to the demon king piccolo arc because yeah yeah man i mean huge turning point for the series the death of kurvin is like real uh, kind of like a loss of innocence for goku at that point because now he's you know dealing with the death of his best friend and then the stakes like that is when they become truly the fate of the entire world 
is now resting on the shoulders of Goku to stop this bad guy. So it's huge. I love, uh, I think I tweeted about this in my thread, but, um, I, I really loved, uh, I really loved sort of the begin, the, like the transitioning from the tournament into that arc because, you know, obviously Goku just suffered the loss of his best friend at the time. And, you know, he, it's so disheartening to like see Goku just like fly off and rage. Like clearly he's, he's not thinking clearly he's, he's still hurt by losing Krillin, and, like, I, I love when he catches up to Tambourine and how, like, just how angry he is. Like, it's, and I, I, I tweeted about this, but, like, you know, and I think we've talked about it with Joey before, how, like, Toriyama draws Goku in, like, such a specific way that, like, it's hard to get him right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like you can see that in, like, how he draws Goku's hair. Like, there's a particular way that, like... He draws it standing up when Goku is just absolutely at his, like, most angry, you know, with confronting Tambourine. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Yeah, it's kind of shocking to see. Like, there's such little details, but they, like, they really convey, like, the drastic change in emotion that Goku has gone through. Like, you could tell he's unbelievably pissed. But no, yeah, I, I think I think the Demon King Piccolo arc is, at this point, like, probably the most desperate Goku has ever been. Cause like even even before he like he regains his youth like Piccolo just like wipes the floor with him. Yeah, you know I have tr- I'm so the Piccolo arc and the next tournament as well is where I start to kind of get less enthusiastic than I used to be. Um, I think as my perspectives have changed, the stuff that I like about Dragon Ball has totally flipped from when I was a teenager. And a lot of my favorite arcs are now my least favorite arcs, uh, which we'll get to eventually. But like <laughs> Piccolo's kind of a little dull to me at this point. Like I like that's, the that's escalation. That's totally fair. Yeah, I I like the escalation of like now Goku's going to save the world. This is the biggest threat he's ever had, and there's a lot of drama surrounding it. But it starts to kind of represent the aspects of Dragon Ball that I'm less enthusiastic about. I won't I won't say I don't like it because I still enjoyed reading these arcs, but. I have a little trouble with it where I'm kind of like, you know, what? I don't feel like I'm liking this as much as I feel like I should. I don't know. That's me personally. Yeah, I could I could yeah, see that. Yeah, like, Piccolo yeah. definitely represents the kind of maniacal, like super serious world domination power obsessed villain that the franchise will kind of repeat in future arcs. I I like him as like the first instance of it here. I think that he has a great presence and design. Like he's very intimidating and like as a threat to go up against, especially Goku as still a kid in this form, like going up against the demon king, the uh, someone who has just killed his master, basically, and responsible for the death of his friend. Like to me, it's so satisfying to see Goku like fight Piccolo and win at the end, and it's still a very very tough battle where he literally only wins because he has one arm left that he can like use to like plow through piccolo and shoot a hole like right through him that's super iconic that image of him shooting through piccolo it's like one of the best in the series i do think though there are criticisms to make of the arc like one of the bigger ones is that a lot of the beats of it are kind of repeated from the red ribbon army arc like we have the nimbus getting destroyed again we have goku having to go up karin's tower again and get some sort of 
mystical water to drink in order to power up whereas though in the red ribbon arc that's kind of subverted where it's not the water itself it's the training that strengthens yoku in the piccolo arc it is just water however i don't think uh i don't i'm not as down on that as like a cheap power up as a lot of other people are because i do think that it is tapping into something clever about goku that we know about him already is that he does have this inner power of like the Uzaru strength, the great ape strength, and that's kind of being toyed at that this going through this painful ordeal of like ingesting basically this poison and struggling with it is like unlocking that latent strength that we know he has and like we see the images of like the great ape as he's like drinking the water and like struggling with it that we know that's what that's the power that's being brought out in him. So I think that it that makes sense and it's kind of satisfying in a sense. Uh, but yeah, it, there are some aspects of it that do f- feel like, oh, Toriyama is already doing the same thing he has done again in certain parts. But also, uh, yeah, I, I would agree that in terms of minor villains, like Tambourine, Cymbal, the Drum, the likes of them aren't don't have really defined personalities in the same way that the Red Ribbon Army guys do, or uh, Frieza's men have later on. Yeah, they're just disposable minions. Yeah. However, just... On the thematic idea of, again, what I really liked about early Dragon Ball, about this whole thing, narrative thread that's been going on with the Muten Roshi and Goku and Gurren, of, like, passing the torch, about letting the next generation go. And then, of course, the thing that was presented as idea in the Baba, at the end of the Baba tournament, that Goku will one day save the world. Like, I think that just all of those come together to that makes the arc really satisfying to read for me and makes me really really enjoy like it's throughout and through the end of it like i do find it very satisfying and i do think that the fight with piccolo has some amazing action in it since some of my favorite like action beats in the series in terms of uh you know fighting choreography and just like small moments like piccolo crashing into uh his attendant and then like instantly killing him just by falling down (laughs) on him and it's, like, not something commented on at all. It's just, like, something that happens, we see the panels, and just leaves it there. And I just like that so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, this arc is a, a, a definitely a very straightforward one. But, like, yeah, again, I just, I just love how, like, desperate things get to the point where, like, you know, you have Roshi sacrificing himself to seal Piccolo in a rice cooker, by the way, which is pretty <laughs> great. Um you know, and then you have like like this this fight like takes so much out of Goku to the point where like when he finally beats Piccolo, he just can't help but like cry in joy. Like he's this this poor kid. That's so emotional. <laughs> he yeah, goes through so cause, much. Cause like, yeah, he is so impactful that he has avenged his fallen friends and that he's won against this impossible evil. Like it's so satisfying. This is like the first time he's done that, and it means so much. We also can't forget to mention Yajirobe and how oh, yeah. fucking amazing he is this arc. And then almost never again. I say almost <laughs> because he does have one good moment later, but you know. Yeah, and this, yeah, like Yajirobe, he's such a fun character uh, to play off of Goku in this arc. It's like someone who is kind of like very reluctant hero. He's uh, uh, more than any other character. Yajirobe actively walks away from uh, to help anyone ever. <laughs> Yeah, I like that his fate is to sort of like hang out on Karin's tower 
for the rest of his life because he's like, I found a chill place where I can be full all the time. Um, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> he's just motivated by food and uh, the promise of, you know, being rewarded. And I like that about him. I like that he's just pure, unapologetically selfish. <laughs> and it's it's fun to play have him play off of someone who still at this point is uh, like Goku is selfless and heroic. So he, he makes a fun contrast. I mean, yeah, I do, I, I do agree with Joey that in the sense that it is just like this arc really is what Dragon Ball Z ends up being in a sense. Th- this is like you're getting a preview of Dragon Ball Z in this arc. And while I, I, I and while I agree that like since this is the first time, it's okay. Like I, I like the arc, but it does feel like kind of yeah. I mean, especially if you go from reading Z to Dragon Ball, then I kind of liked, I I mean, for me, when I was reading, because obviously, you know, I finished Z before I read, I saw DB, and then up until now, it felt like, okay, but these feel like two different series. How are they related? I mean, yeah, Goku's in both, but the tone and everything is completely different. Then I saw Piccolo, I was like, ah, okay, I can see how this became Dragon Ball Z now. Yeah, I mean, this is really the transition, and I think kind of symbolically you have that passing of torch of the kind of series it is through. You have the Pilaf gang involved here, uh, and they are the ones who resurrect Piccolo or free him from the rice cooker, and then Piccolo kind of just tosses them aside. Well, not to, not to and cut I think you symbolically, off, just the fact in the rice cooker. I mean, we're, we're still dealing with Toriyama, yeah. though. <laughs> it's still Toriyama. It's still... It's still putting a sense of humor and everything, but I do feel like having the Pilaf gang included and then kind of uh, discard here and not seeing it for a series that kind of also symbolically kind of definitely represents that change of tone and like what the focus of the series is going to be in terms of like very serious stakes in combat. I think it helps me when I read this arc to kind of like think about it in the terms of like try to imagine what it would be like to read this for the first time having never seen dragon ball z you know trying to imagine what it was like when when all that came before this is that all that existed of dragon ball and and and, you know japanese kids being excited because this is the most powerful opponent goku's ever you know faced and stuff like that and and that kind of helps me feel the excitement a little bit more Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then I, it's been said, I think, many times that at the time, people reading this as it was coming out in Shonen Jump, they thought the, the series was heading towards a conclusion. They thought this was felt like a com- climactic arc. So it was like a making huge waves. And I think that's why at the end of the 23rd Budokai arc, Toriyama kind of preemptively had a note from the Muten Roshi saying, no, 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 this is not going to, it's not <laughs> over. There's going to be a chapter next week. No, no, I, it's okay, guys. I still like money. We're, we're going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this, this was a huge shift for the series. And, uh, and, you know, in terms of like stakes again, like, the destruction Piccolo is able to do, like destroying an entire city with a swipe, that's the kind of stuff we just expect from villains henceforth. Um, but I guess we can just, uh, talking about the 23rd tournament, we could probably just move on to that. I mean, this is really the beginning of Goku as an adult. The King Piccolo was kind of closure of Goku's childhood kind of story. And now we're reintroduced to Goku, matured as an adult kind of ready to you know confront piccolo again and like kind of show how much he's grown and it's also that's why it's also a kind of a good conclusion to the pre-z era stories is that 
in the Train Tribute Okai, Goku achieves the goal that he's kind of been trying to get throughout the series and in receiving the title of world martial arts champion strongest in the world and he finally accomplishes that and the de- defeats definitively his nemesis once and for all uh you know he defeats the devil an opponent that even god himself could not beat and that's pretty pretty powerful and amazing like it's pretty satisfying just the the ending of this tournament oh man I mean, look, like, I I know we could probably talk about the other fights, but I mean, like, really the highlight here is that final fight with, you know, Piccolo and Goku and just, Mm -hmm. man, some of that is just so great. I I think at this point, obviously, this is the, like, the most destructive Dragon Ball has ever gotten. And I just, I think that's also one of my favorite things about rereading through the series is that I just, I just love seeing the, the, like, like how the destruction just like keeps topping itself because like you know from here like you know we we have uh, obviously like the the fight gets so intense that like they just blow up the ring entirely um to to when we get we we go from that to like you know say when we get to the boo arc and like you know every other panel like there's just a mushroom cloud of destruction like it, yeah. it like it, 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 <laughs> like it, it just doesn't really feel like anything anymore but like that's kind of part of the joke at that point is like how yeah. ridiculous that art gets, but like, <laughs> um, man, just like s- some of those hits in uh, in that fight, I think are like some of the most painful. Like, go- like that shot of Goku punching Piccolo in the stomach, Bruce Lee style. Like, <laughs> man, so iconic. Yeah, what this tournament's sort of missing for me are the like rando characters. There's like no like Namu or Man Wolf or these characters that we get a little bit of story a little kind of mini stories for um and that's fine this is all very story focused and it it pushes all towards goku versus piccolo and i understand that but like uh one of the things i like about tournaments like when i was a kid and i was buying these volumes in japanese and i didn't i couldn't read them yet i just really loved looking at all the tournament brackets because they were fun to kind of like imagine who all the characters were and 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 who was gonna match up with who and all that stuff and with this it's like a little less focused on that tournament style storytelling and a little bit more like, let's just get to Goku versus Piccolo. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the other fights I, I'm not as, I'm not as attached to like, I mean, uh, well, I think they're good character showcases. That's true. I mean, yeah. Pic- Curran's fight against Piccolo shows that he's become a very formidable uh, martial artist in his own right to the point that he makes Piccolo say and guess oh maybe conquering the earth is not going to be as easy as I thought these humans have gone much stronger than I would have ever thought oh yeah see that that's a good fight too because like you know um c- coming coming off a of super where like you know you have Krillin fighting off against like at this point the Super Saiyan Blue Goku or whatever and just how like like, I, I think that's something that I really appreciate about Krillin after coming back to the manga is that, you know, Kr- Krillin is not, like, the strongest character, but, like, he's very inventive and, like, he's 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 a very intelligent fighter. Mm-hmm. And, like, even, even against these stronger characters, like, he could still hold his own, which I think is really great. And I feel like, I feel like in, in a time where, you know, Team Four Star, you know, is really popular and... You know, you kind of have certain things in the fandom popularize, just like how, oh well, Krillin's useless or whatever, haha. And like, I'm, I'm glad that like 
I don't see that as much anymore because, like, you know, I feel like Krillin used to be kind of the punching bag in the fandom, but and and now it's just kind of moved on to Yamcha, kind of rightfully so, honestly. Um, no offense, no offense to Yamcha, I love him, but like, you know, Krillin at the very least, like I said, like I say, like he's always there, he's always contributing something, even if he's not always fighting. And I feel like this fight is a good showcase. Like, both both him and Goku, I feel like this is a good tournament to show that, like, you know, they're both very good at combat, and they both have a sense for it. Especially Goku, you know, when he's, you know, especially during his rematch against Tenshinhan, where it's like, he's he's literally, like, critiquing his, uh, his, like, Shadow Clone Jutsu move, or whatever he called it, um... And, you know, basically telling him, like, hey, like, it's cool that you split yourself up, but, like, you're basically splitting your power or whatever, and that's not good. And, like, he's giving him all these critiques, and it's like, you know, I I feel like that's a good, that's a good starting point for Goku sort of becoming the mentor to a bunch of other characters, you know, all throughout the series, which I think is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned before, Yamcha and Tenshan also got very satisfying character uh, resolution stuff in their matches in this arc and i really do feel like this uh, tournament you know it's unfortunate that we couldn't get some of those fun new characters but i think it does a really good job of kind of closing the book on kind of narrative threads and character arcs that have been going up until this point and bringing back you know chi chi and is kind of also a fun thing where toriyama references something from the very beginning of the story and comes that in a satisfying way and it kind of adds just to the sense of closure to you know goku's childhood adventures and now heading off into new territory as an adult so i I think it's done really really well i guess my one critic my one uh, sad reservation about it. It does unfortunately mean that you know that that Goku kind of ends up looking that he's so much stronger than the other characters. Like uh, in the fight with Tenshinhan, he doesn't you know start breathing heavy or even break a sweat, which is made note of. And I think that kind of sets an unfortunate precedent for how much above Goku is above the other characters in later Dragon Ball, which is unfortunate, but. You know, I do think that in the arc itself, in the fights themselves, they're given a lot of respect, and it's pretty satisfying their fights. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, does does anyone else have anything else to say about the tournament they want to put out there? Or no, I, I think it was. I mean, well, of course, this is also where uh, I I don't think we could leave out the fact that I mean, I I don't know if the manga handled this differently, but of course, Chi Chi and Goku meet up again here. That's true. That's true. So that's true I, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I I feel like is important, of course, because then we have Goku being like, "What's marriage? Can you eat it?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a wonder how he's had children. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's doing a lot of the work in that relationship in more ways than one, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, that I, I found that kind of like I mean. You know, their reunion and, again, Goku getting married after, I mean, eventually, essentially starting a family after this was, you know, I find that interesting because you don't, one thing you don't get of a lot of in uh, Shonen series, obviously, because the kids are, the series, the, kid, the, the characters are teenagers, is you don't get that, you know, since usually we get family and growing up at the end of the series and, you know, that's left to our imagination, but instead Goku keeps going. Yeah, I mean... It's important to know that this was a big risk for Toriyama to pull, at least in the minds of uh, the editors at the time, the mindset of the time. Like, Toriyama had to yes. fight and tread into end the series to 
have Goku grow up into an adult because he felt that the story couldn't continue if Goku wouldn't be allowed to grow and become an adult. And I think he made the right decision. Yeah, yeah I remember. I remember reading. I remember like seeing that. That's where Alma did say, "Yeah, I mean, he basically said either Goku grows up or the series ends." And you know, the editors were really against it, but eventually. They relented, and yeah, I agree with Lum. It was a very, very good idea for them to do so because I feel like this change for Goku it allowed for um it definitely allowed for more interesting dynamics for the series now that it's got Goku's now a dad and has kids and everything like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's kind of amazing that we talk. We've just finished talking about all of you know what is considered like pre-Z Dragon Ball like those first six arcs but we're not even halfway through the series and what the series would become and most known for like Goku as an adult is the most popular depiction of Goku people think of that more so than Goku as a kid so it's kind of amazing how uh, what was considered a risk really paid off in incredible ways no one could have predicted I can't imagine what the editors were thinking, being like, "No, don't, don't age him up." Like, I, like, I, I'm definitely on Toriyama's side, where it's like, I don't know where he, where else he could have taken the story if he, if Goku wasn't allowed to like actually physically grow up. Yeah, there's just a tough thing that happens when you start actually like introducing the element of time. Like, this tournament happens every so many years. Like, the characters are obviously going to age. It's like those high school manga where they have a christmas chapter in the middle of the summer just because you have to follow the timeline you know and i think i think toriyama was just aware like he can't be a little kid if we keep jumping ahead three years three years three years you know yeah um yeah so let's just move on to the saiyan stuff so you know obviously i think this is one of my favorite arcs one that i'm definitely attached to because it's it's one that like you know i've i've seen through the video games through again the uncut versions on uh uh, on on Cartoon Network, uh, I and I think this. Uh, I I also watched these through uh, the Orange Bricks uh, back back in the day. Uh, I have very fond memories of watching the series in Japanese for the first time and just being like, "Wow, this is definitely a totally different thing." Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think the most important thing I wanted to talk about with this arc is. Uh, because there 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 are there are certain points in this story where i feel like toriyama goes through goes through certain parts of the story a little too fast hmm. like i i think yeah. i think this is where i start to realize like i think i actually like in in some respects i think i prefer the anime version of this arc over the manga just because i really enjoy a lot of that anime original content where basically uh, you know, you have Gohan and his adventures or whatever, uh, meeting up with the robot and meeting up with all those orphans and, you know, just him actually seeing him like tough it out. Um, whereas like a lot of that is mostly off screen. You don't see a lot of it anyway. And I I, I want to ask you guys, you know, do like because I, I see so many people who I mean, rightfully so recommend you know the manga over the anime because you know uh the 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 manga takes less time to get through certain story beats and there's not as much like you know certain things aren't padded out as long as they are like i think i heard a story where like uh the anime is sort of infamous for like you know covering eight panels of a of a chapter in one episode because they don't want to catch up with the manga at a certain point yeah 
Basically the training before the time skip in the cell arc. Yeah. But but I, I want to ask you guys, like, do you do, do you feel like Toriyama's uh, pacing is more of a, like, how, how do you feel about it, I guess? Because I, I kind of feel like his fast pacing almost kind of hurts the storytelling in some places. Yeah, with I think fights are much better paced than the manga. I think that For the sure, action yes. reads really quick and impactful, and the anime is infamous for dragging things out in a way that kind of lessens the impact of the fight and makes things feel kind of monotonous to watch. But there are many parts of the story where I think Torima speeds through kind of important things we should see uh, that the anime takes time to show. And one of those things is Gohan's character development before the Saiyans arrive, where we actually do see how he ends up learning to become his own person and learn to survive on his own and become confident and learn, no, I have a job, a duty to do, and I will make the decision to continue with this. Like, there's a very great two-parter in the anime where Gohan kind of escapes from the training area Piccolo has put him in and makes his way back home to his house. And he sees his mother and he, he's about to go out to her, but like he... He held himself back because, like, in that moment and through his experiences, he's realized why he's been training and what, and realizes that he, if he goes home now and if he doesn't complete that training, then, you know, he's at risk of losing, like, his mother and, like, everyone that he needs to fight to protect. And so he decides to go back and he has that conversation with Piccolo. It's like, what are you training for? And Gohan's like, to beat the science. And so that's when Piccolo directly steps in to train Doan directly at that point. And that's so well done in the anime and such a great character development beat that I think is missing in the manga where one chapter Gohan's crying over, you know, being stuck in the wilderness and next chapter, Oh, he has a sword now and he's, you know, all carefree. He's cutting up dinosaur tails. Like it just has worked out in these past six months where we haven't seen that we didn't get to see. So I do think the anime handles that a lot more strongly by actually showing us Gohan's development. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, like, I mean, I don't know, like, I, obviously, I, I really like this arc in that, like, it's, it's so weird going from the last arc to this and where, like, it's such a huge shift for the series because, like, whereas everything before was, like, more mystical and sort of supernatural, now we're, now we're getting into like some really heavy sci-fi where it's like now Goku's an alien and he's a part of this warrior race that goes from planet to planet or whatever. And it's like, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that tonal shift. Like I cannot imagine reading this weekly and being like, oh, I, I guess, I guess now this is what Dragon Ball is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moving away from the realm of fantasy and into science fiction. Um, yeah, I have a hard time judging this because I, I, this is the only part of the anime I haven't seen in Japanese. And so my only really recollection of the anime is, is the early, the ocean dub version where <laughs> I was still very confused about even what the series was uh, at the time I was seeing it. So there was a lot of like, I don't know, uh, here's a funny example. Uh, when Chatsu like sacrifices himself, uh, and explodes, uh, they were saying, he says, you know, I'm going to take you to another dimension. And then he explodes, disappearing. <laughs> and I genuinely thought he had was trying to teleport him and wasn't strong enough to teleport him to another dimension. And they were like, Chachu's gone, you know, because they couldn't say dead. And, and I was just like, oh, so I guess you get trapped in the other dimension. If you, and it's like <laughs> a very like, 
you know, so w- while I was watching this, it was like not a complete uh, success. <laughs> I'd say. But I, I think that that stuff that Lum mentioned about uh, stretching out Goku's arc is true. I In the manga, I like this part fine. Like, it's kind of a means to an end to get to the Frieza stuff, uh, personally, because... Kind of, um, yeah. I would just say, like, off the bat, like, Frieza and Boo are kind of my favorite parts of the Z era stuff. So, like, I like this part fine. I don't particularly, like, have any problems with it. But, like, um, it's kind of okay with me that it flies a little fast uh, because it does a lot of, like, setting up of the sort of, like afterworld hierarchy and gods and all that stuff uh which is important uh and it introduces vegeto is obviously important um but like for the most part i when i'm reading this i'm always kind of like i can't wait to get to the frieza stuff Mm, that's that's interesting because like after rereading through the namek and frieza stuff not not that i not that i dislike it or anything i i do enjoy most of it but there are definitely i think when they uh just to kind of jump ahead here, like when it gets to when it gets to the actual Goku versus Frieza fight, I actually think that's where the arc kind of starts to drag. Mm. I'd agree with that. I I do feel like they kind of fight too long. But before we but b- before we move away from the Saiyan saga like completely, like I I think Goku versus Vegeta I think is the highlight of that arc. Like yeah, again, like yeah, ever like besides the Demon King Piccolo arc, I feel like. This fight in particular is like the most desperate. Like Goku needs the help of Gohan, Krillin, and even Yajirobe to <laughs> try and take down Vegeta. And even then, like you know, through Goku's own lack of judgment, I guess at the time, I don't know. Like through, uh, he he lets him get away. He convinces Krillin to not stab him through the back with Yajirobe's sword or whatever. Um, and man, I just I just love how desperate that fight is. Like because v- Vegeta is. I guess what you would call a tank, like not like it's like he he's just, he's just like a cockroach that you just can't get rid of. Like it's so hard to kill this guy. Like they just slash at him, blast at him, and just like nothing. Like I I love moments where like you know uh, Goku is so beaten up that he has to give the spirit bomb to Krillin to have him throw at Vegeta, and I just man it like all that is so tense it's so fun to watch like it's so tense to the point where like you know you have Yajirobe like on the edge of his seat watching from afar and just being like hey why don't you throw it or whatever <laughs> and just like almost just fucks it up completely <laughs> I love all that stuff so much it is every time I revisit it it is so tense and and never fails to make me feel like oh man I don't like I know what's gonna happen but ah oh, my my stomach is like tensing up or whatever I get butterflies in my stomach reading through that part like it's just it's so good and I love it so much but uh but no yeah that really yeah oh good well the strength of this arc to me is that this is the strongest art in terms of fighting as storytelling. I think every beat of the fight with Nappa and Vegeta is so pinpoint perfect in terms of character motivation and consequences that lead up to other moments in the fight and like just the overall desperation and the conclusion of it. Like I think just every beat of the fight is really really well done in terms of setting up a dramatic story and setting up a fight that we had not had in the series at this point. So it was like just pure, pure hopelessness in this fight with Nappa. Nappa kills three of the heroes. 
well, four of the heroes. And then we have Goku come in, very satisfying to save the day. But then in the fight with Vegeta, he still can't get the job done by itself. So it requires teamwork. And this is where, in the manga, I think Gohan's character development really kind of pays off. Is that he, Gohan comes back to the fight after, in the fight with Nappa, being kind of hesitant to... to uh, held back by fear to like really get involved in pivotal moments and then not being able to really do anything damaging against Nappa and ultimately being the one responsible for getting Piccolo killed by not getting out of the way of Nappa's fast. Gohan comes back to the fight and he's the one who ultimately ends up saving the day by coming back and getting involved because he transforms into the great ape and he manages to gain enough sense of himself, of his sanity to know what he is fighting for, to know who he, who his enemy is, and defeat Vegeta. And so, to me, that is a really strong payoff to the arc. And also, it's the strongest fight in terms of teamwork, in the terms of the fact that you need to have multiple characters here to really uh, support each other in order to take Vegeta down. In terms of stopping Vegeta as a great ape, and then throwing the spirit bomb, and then ultimately directing Gohan's rage properly towards Vegeta to lead to his downfall so all that elements are just so perfect and i think it ends in such a great place where by the end of it everyone is so exhausted and just destroyed and wrecked they're all bloody and battered pulps so it's just an incredibly emotional kind of bittersweet ending that they win but they don't end up defeating their enemy and they have lost so many of their friends along the way oh man so It's a really poignant power fight in that respect, and I think that's one of its strongest parts. And also, just in terms of art, uh, I think this is one of the strongest points of the series, artistically, especially in terms of the action. I think Goku versus Vegeta is, like, definitely the best action sequence in the entire uh, manga for me in terms of its intensity, in terms of readability, in terms of just all the beats that happen in it. It just, to me, I think it is just superbly executed. And just the the energy, the power of the beam struggle between Goku and Vegeta, and all the violence communicated, the fact how battered everyone is like all that is just perfectly depicted so it's a real high point from that respect oh yeah for sure it it might possibly be my favorite arc maybe i would say um again i i mentioned earlier that every everything between the 22nd tournament and this arc is like my favorite portion of dragon ball to read but like man yeah the sand saga is really something else but yeah, uh, it, like Joey said, it is sort of, in a way, like a means to an end to, you know, to to get to the Namek arc, because obviously the whole reason they go to Namek is that, you know, they they want to use the Namekian Dragon Balls to bring back all their friends and whatnot, um, which uh, I'm I'm just going to get this out of the way right now. I think I think the best part of everything that ha- like the the entirety of the Namek arc, Frieza arc, whatever you want to call it. I really feel like the best portion of that arc is the Dragon Ball hunt. Yeah. 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 The first half where it's Gohan, Kurin versus Vegeta versus Frieza's forces for in the power struggle to gain the Dragon Balls. That is definitely like the most compelling part of the arc for me. It's so interesting how they have to out scheme and outwit each other mm-hmm. and just the precarious balance of them always being in front of danger and trying to escape their enemies because one wrong move is 
going to lead to their I mean, death. this might be a yeah. weird thing for me to say, but it feels like a lot of Dragon Ball Z's arcs were better when Goku's not around. <laughs> well, well that's maybe. just the thing about this know. sort of shonen formula. A lot of times the main character gets so powerful that it's all about like delaying them even being yeah, there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It definitely is that. And you know, again, a lot of I mean Toriyama again, I won't say so much he invented it, but you could definitely see them later shonen authors who were big fans of his how it is just okay, we gotta set the other characters are there or to set things up for basically roll out the red carpet for the main character show <laughs> and we'll stick luffy between two buildings <laughs> and it'll be fine <laughs> it is that is an interesting point that that you that you make in that like really from frieza onward like it really feels like toriyama is really kind of like he it feels like he's always experimenting with like how much he can get away with goku not being around mm-hmm. yeah I also feel like he doesn't know what to do with Yeah, Goku. I get that idea. That's also probably it, too, yeah. My biggest problem with that is how much of that time, then, is devoted to characters being like, I wish Goku was here, come on, Goku, get here faster, and stuff like that. I, I That aspect of it is kind of... Um, kind of a slog but like the but the actual aspect of like introducing the ginyu force like one or two at a time and like and all of other freezes like uh army members and stuff like that like is all really cool and i like that stuff uh, because they're interesting characters and it's a cool new world and you're kind of learning new rules about the way that the universe works and stuff like that, which is fun. Oh, man. Yeah. Ginyu Tok Sentai. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely rereading, like, uh, the Ginyu Force stuff, now that I'm more familiar with Sentai, was a lot more fun. Like, when I, before, I, mm-hmm. I I didn't really know much about Sentai, so, like, when I was reading them, I was just like, okay, these guys are being really ridiculous. And I, I didn't like it, I'll admit that. But now in a world where I've, like, watched a couple of Sentai and stuff, thanks to my girlfriend... I'm like I found it way more entertaining now. <laughs> I almost didn't want them they're to just, go. They're just so goofy. Yeah, I, like I, I guess it was my teenage side of me back then. Just be like, just get to the fights. I don't want to see you guys being goofy. But <laughs> I gotta be honest. I would love a Ginyu Force movie. Like I just, I just, I just want I just want a group of bros in space being bros. That's all oh, I man. want. We need, so good. Yeah, special yeah. Force Ginyuger. We need this. <laughs> uh, but what were we gonna say, Lum? Well, I do find the Ginyu Force uh, really fun, though I do think that, you know, as parody and as, like, these weird characters, it's not like the Ginyu Force do anything that the protagonists don't also do in terms of, like, posing and playing rock, paper, scissors to decide (laughs) who's going to fight first. Like, we saw Goku and Yajirobe do that in the King Piccolo arc, play rock, paper, scissors to see who would fight someone. Yeah. Uh, Master Roshi would do these ridiculous poses and yell out like weird techniques. Even Tenshinhan would do that with his volleyball technique. So I think that's one part that is a little strange that it, like in the context of the Frieza arc where everyone is taking things very seriously and it's very desperate, like they do stand out as people who aren't taking things seriously and that's being unsettling. But in the context of the rest of the series, like do you, in retrospect, do you kind of find, well, they're not that much weirder than the rest of characters <laughs> in Dragon Ball. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, I do agree, but also, like, the Ginyu Force are so funny because, like, yeah. the, like it gets to a point where, like, it's just Ginyu and, and Jis left, and, <laughs> and, and Ginyu, Ginyu isn't so much, like, he, he's not very heartbroken about losing his team so much as 
not being able to have a cool posing. Like, with just two people, it's not cool. Yeah, now our symmetry is, like, all off. Now we gotta come <laughs> up with a pose with two guys instead of five. And, like, Gerd <laughs> is such a, like, hateable character. So, like, yeah. I Yeah, I love... I, I really... I think I was kind of, like, okay with the Ginyu Force as uh, when I was first watching it, and I've kind of grown to really love them. Oh, same. Mm. Like... And I think it's also, we should also say that Vegeta is probably, like... Pro- this is probably where Vegeta is at his best in terms of oh, his yeah. villain protagonist yeah. role. Mm-hmm. Like, he accomplishes a whole lot in terms of the story and in terms of being this turd antagonistic force to both the heroes and Frieza's forces. Like, he's in this middle ground of villain and ally that is very interesting to see play out. And he makes, uh, for a real wild card, that leads to very interesting things oh man yeah he's, I, I love the way he just fucking chops off gerd's head <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so great um but yeah no like um i guess i know we're kind of jumping around here a lot but like we should probably talk a little bit about frieza mm-hmm. yeah yeah because i think he's he's probably my favorite dragon ball villain yeah i i would say he's my favorite villain as well yeah i mean i think there's a reason he's most iconic Funny enough, I think I have liked Frieza more uh, as the years goes on, and even like with Resurrection of a Super, I think I've grown to appreciate him more as I kind of really understood his character in a new way. I think like what made Frieza uh, really compelling, very memorable for a lot of people, is that there's just this buildup of mystique and intrigue to like how unfathomably powerful he is. Like he is very short and diminutive. He usually just lets his minions do the dirty work for him, but the fact that it commands so much fear and respect, the fact that Vegeta, the antagonist of our of the previous arc of the series, is so fearful of him and feels like he needs to be immortal in order to have a chance against him, uh, establishes that there is something truly ominously dreadful about him. And so then, like, the reveal that his, like... Uh, power level... I don't like power levels as a concept that much in terms of, like, what it does in terms of reducing characters to like numbers and comparing things to feats and whatnot but i do think that the way it's used with frieza to kind of establish that his level of strength is vastly greater uh, than anyone we've ever seen in the series up until that point and it's just it creates just a sense of insurmountable odds an obstacle that you can't, that's almost impossible to imagine how you could defeat him. And the fact that there are transformations to Frieza and they, he keeps escalating the gulf in power, the gap in touchability between him and the hero is just increases the stakes in that sense of dread so much more and makes it so satisfying when Goku becomes Super Saiyan and closes that gap and kind of completes his character arc and becomes the thing that Frieza feared most in the world. Like, Frieza created his own undoing. It it makes the end of the arc so satisfying. But I think one thing I like about Frieza's character, just uh, thematically, or well, well, just in terms of characterization, what I like about Frieza is that even though he's very manipulative, he's not actually very smart. What Frieza's strengths are is that he is just, he has power and he has uh, wealth. And that is what allows him to control so many different people and to enforce his will on other people. I think one of the most chilling scenes is in when he's first introduced and he you know, it's questioning the Namekians about the locations of the Dragon Balls, and Moro is telling him in, uh, you know, Namekian, you know, as like an act of resistance, but Frieza says, uh-uh-uh, 
speak in a language I understand. Like, that is just such chilling, like, flaunting of power that is kind of like, he is kind of representative of kind of like a colonizing force of kind of like people who are trying to subjugate others and create this hierarchy. I mean, Frieza literally creates a hierarchy based on power, like who he thinks is more worthy. And uh, so it comes this really interesting kind of social class commentary that's a little bit subtle, but Toriyama did like definitely base Frieza off of like uh, real estate agents. Like, so he had like this kind of idea in mind, but it's like Goku, you know, is very pointedly supposed to be, you know, he was a low class lion. That's why he was sent to Earth because Earth was like a considered a weak planet. So babies like Goku that didn't have much power, they thought, oh, well, that's a job for people like them to clean up and do. And the elites to have more important jobs and have more respectable jobs and are considered more valuable. And so Frieza is kind of like the ultimate example of the person at the top who is like creating this power structure, creating these hierarchies to keep other people subjugated and in line and just uh, colonize and destroy these other worlds. And then Goku is someone who is a low caste person who through his own strength and his own hard work determination kind of disproves the entire philosophy that Frieza, Vegeta and others believe in terms of natural born ability and uh, power as hierarchy like Goku as Goku's values he's he has empathy he has kindness and he is heroic and he becomes the strongest person in the universe he becomes stronger than frieza and he shows that entire philosophy that they believed in was completely wrong and by considering that goku was worth nothing sending him off to a planet and then dismissing him entirely like that ends up being Frieza Sona doing so just there's a really great thematic idea there and really great connection there between what Goku represents and what Frieza represents that I think is so strong and it's like what is at the heart of what makes that uh villain protagonist relationship so compelling and enduring after all these years why that cements Frieza is kind of like the iconic ultimate villain of Dragon Ball like thematically oh yeah for sure yeah that's really interesting. I think another thing aspect of him is also design wise. He is, I think, the most clear uh, example of a of a philosophy Toriyama seems to have uh, solidified for himself. That like of this idea of showing the most powerful character is the sleekest, smallest, less intimidating looking character, and I think that that goes into one of my kind of things that I like to talk about about Toriyama um, is that the re- the conclusion I've come to about him is that the reason why he's such an excellent action author is because he's actually such a great uh, comedic author. And it's this genius for comedy and finding punchlines, which are always the sort of unexpected outcome of the setup for a joke that he's able to write that way, but in a serious context. So he finds the most unexpected thing and then writes that but in a serious context or in an action context and so he uses that to say like well okay what would be the most unexpected powerful character it would be someone like not intimidating looking and small and uh, i think that frieza with all of his different forms you know you get these like cool looking forms that are very powerful and you get to move through them and kind of look at them and and think about how cool they, they look or whatever 
uh, or goofy they look in some <laughs> circumstances. But like, um, and then he reaches this like perfect form, and it's just like very simple, but it's even more intimidating because you know how powerful he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could agree with that. I mean, it is definitely a Toriyama thing. Most of the most powerful characters in Dragon Ball are the ones you wouldn't expect. And I, I, that's actually a great perspective. I hadn't thought about it that way. But yeah, it is, Toriyama's, is, is, Toriyama's whole thing is expect the unexpected. And he just does it so well each time that even though you're like, okay, we should be expecting this, he hits us up with another left, there's something else out of left field, and it's like, oh, dang, I wasn't expecting that at all. And it, and it also heightens the excitement, too, because it's like, I mean, I remember watching, uh, reading this and watching the anime, when especially with the whole Frieza having different forms things, you know, you, you had each form before the ultimate one looking more hideous and grotesque and bigger. Then you get to this, the the smallest one, and it's just like, oh, that's the strongest one? <laughs> I remember that sort of thing myself. I was like, he looked cooler before. What, why would he? You know, especially in deference to, like, say, Cell, who I feel like, who, I mean, I'm going to just put this out there now, Cell's my favorite villain. But, but... Mm, interesting. Um... In comparison to Cell, who got like you know, yeah, he got he he actually looked cooler in his final form than Frieza did in his final form, and that comparison to me has always been interesting because I I didn't have that same sense of like with Cell's final form, I wasn't like I don't want to say disappointed, but I was just kind of like, oh okay, this is I, when it got to Cell's final form, I'm like, okay, that's cool, I accept this. Well, with Frieza, it took me a while. I mean, yeah, then when he started getting going, then it was like, okay, yeah, this is cool, but. Like, I know at first I was kind of like, I'm doing, this is it? This is what all that buildup was up to? <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I guess just to, I think, I'm sorry, uh, just, just to put in my two cents about Frieza, like, uh, I, I think the thing I love about Frieza is that, like, he, he tries to come off so, like, proper and, and whatnot, and how, like, backhanded he could be with a lot of his dialogue, um, like, he basically, like, insults people, but tries to kind of cover it up with, like, as much flowery, flowery language as possible. I can't say that word. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love those moments where, like, that, like, that facade is easily crumbled and he just starts, like, just, just, just starts, like, yelling and throwing a tantrum, like, when he doesn't get his way. Like, it's just so, there's just something so, like, realistic about his personality, almost and like how he acts it ties into that classism thing i was discussing earlier like frieza thinks of himself as more proper and sophisticated than the people he's addressing so he uses very formal language and he speaks uh, like as if he is you know just being very polite when he's actually saying and doing very cruel things but when there are no pretenses he needs to give, like he reveals his true character, which is just violent and sociopathic and just fueled by like blind murderous rage. Yep. So I think that just breakdown of him telling you murderous rats when like he when Perunga has, you know, turned to stone, the dragon also turned to stone and then Frieza just walk, sees Vegeta, Goku, Kurin and just like unleashes like his anger and yells at them. Like I think that's just such a a good telling moment of his actual true character. That is a good moment yeah. Um. So two two more things I want to talk about before we move on to the next arc is uh, I feel like the, the Super Saiyan transformation is obviously a big moment. Um. I have to be honest, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but 
I feel like when I was eight years old, that moment felt a lot bigger than it actually... I mean, at least in the manga, like, it just kind of happens. Like, I don't know, something about how Toriyama handled handled that moment, like, it just doesn't... It doesn't have that gravitas to me that, like, the anime has. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone feels that same way. Yeah, when I think of the transformation, I think of the anime and, like, the build-up to it, the rumbling in the background, the aura, like, slowly enveloping Goku, and then Goku's face of, like, his pupils have gone blank as his face is contorting with rage, and then he's just exploding to the Super Saiyan form. And the manga, the point of it is its suddenness. It's supposed to be drawing. It's supposed to be what what's happening. That, that's fair, yeah. But I do like the anime take a lot. That definitely left more of an impression on me as a kid. But like I, I do like what Toriyama was trying to go for. Like the suddenness of it is like the point that it that happens so quickly is supposed to take you off guard and make you go, "What's ha- whoa? What what am I seeing? Is this what I think it is?" That, that's true. Um, yeah. And then uh, one other moment I really want to talk about that still like really I don't know if it doesn't. How do I put this? It's such a weird moment. So, obviously, I, I love the end. Like, I said earlier that, like, I, I feel like a lot of the Goku versus Frieza fight, I, I feel like that fight, in retrospect, goes on for too long, honestly. And it's not even, it's nowhere close to, like, my favorite fight in the series, um, quite honestly. Uh, not that it's not, like, a bad fight, but, again, it's it's a little bloated. Um I do like the ending of the fight where, like, you have Frieza just stealing Krillin's cans on attack, and uh, he throws around the disc, and Goku, uh, he doesn't really mean to, but he kind of accidentally, like, tricks Frieza into, like, cutting himself with his own attack. Like, that felt like such a big moment to me as, like, an eight-year-old watching this on Toonami being like, oh, man, he got cut. He should... Cartoon characters can get hurt? What? Like, it just... I don't, I don't, and you know, it just—it was like the most violent thing I had ever seen as a child. Um, it just blew my mind. Um, but then you have that moment where, like, Goku is like, "Dude, like, stop! You're done." And then he still takes pity on him and gives him his energy to, like, you know, to basically give Frieza a chance to, like, maybe make amends for what he's done, like, give him a second chance. And obviously, he throws that away by trying to kill Goku. And uh, this is something I didn't realize until, like, rereading through the manga that, from what I've seen, like, the anime doesn't, like, fully capture is that is that last expression that Goku has after killing Frieza. Like, there's so much you could read into that. It's, like, I feel like it's, like, one of the most complex moments in Dragon Ball where it's, like, you could kind of get an idea of, like, what Goku's feeling in that moment, but, like, I feel like there are different things you could take away from that moment. Like, you know, because because throughout the whole arc, like Goku has made it a thing where it's like, you know, he he doesn't like to needlessly kill people, but also you could make the argument that like, oh, what about all the people he may or may not have killed during the Red Ribbon Army arc? Well, whatever. Who cares about that? <laughs> he he was he was a kid. He's kind of matured since he was a kid. Exactly. Like, the first instance where we see him like acknowledge and like think about the value of life was like him sparing piccolo and that's like the first story where we see him as an adult too so i think his training with kami-sama has kind of helped him mature in other ways too yeah and i don't know like that moment of goku's expression like he like you could kind of you could kind of make the observation that like he's he's like really sad about having to kill off frieza 
Like, I don't know. It, I've always just found that moment interesting. Like, why why Frieza? Like, what what did he see in Frieza that like made him want to want to spare him almost? Like, I don't know. That that scene is always like left a real impression on me because it's like I have a hard time I have a hard time like trying to understand Goku's emotions in that moment. Yeah. I think Goku generally wants to believe in the best in people and that you know, on one hand, he spares opponents because he wants to fight them again. But on the other hand, he does, I think, see or perceive that there can be good in people. I don't know. He was clearly wrong with Frieza. I think even to this day, with Frieza resurrected in Super, like Frieza has never shown to be a good person, even though he has been a team player. Uh, but with Vegeta, I think he made a very interesting call that ended up paying off and i think vegeta touches upon this in the boo arc that you spared me you know as if you knew that i would learn to have a soul and i think that was kind of what was going on in goku's head when he was thinking of sparing frieza and you know he he was like struggling with the idea of sparing frieza to begin with like when frieza begged him for energy he was like you were asking me to help you after all the suffering you caused and then he kind of just furiously but ultimately relents and gives him the energy so it's also just that frustrating thing of like you know he also struggled with this idea of you know sparing frieza in the first place but now frieza has gone and betrayed you know that trust that goku had just placed in him too so it is very heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, and then you have, like, the selling Android stuff, which, I have to be honest, like, I'm I'm always conflicted. Like, I, I don't have as much attachment to a lot of the arc. I, I do think it's an interesting portion of the series where if, Tor- if Toriyama didn't go hard sci-fi already, this is, like, the hardest he really goes on all the sci-fi elements with, you know, introducing time travel and androids and just robots in general and and uh you know and obviously you have cell who's like an amalgamation of like different characters from the series and just like all these different really hard sci-fi elements and you know like there's so much we could talk about with this arc but i mean like you know with uh with trunks in particular i think that was the like i I have very vivid memories of like catching promos for those episodes uh, for them airing on Toonami and just being like, who's this guy? He's got a sword. He's so cool. I mean, they definitely hyped up Trunks because Trunks was in the original Saban opening. So, like, for years, there were fans who were like, who is this guy in this opening? Trunks is very appealing. He's a cool 90s kid. <laughs> you know? And the team in the... To just talk about, I guess, the Faulkner score, like, Trunks' theme is very memorable in the dub. So I think that also leaves memories in people. But his introduction is also really, really distinct and memorable because he's introduced cutting Frieza in half, the villain of the previous arc who we just spent dozens of episodes fighting. He beats him in one blow. So that's also a really really striking memorable introduction that he's super signed from the beginning he defeats the villain the previous arc in one blow and he defeats and to top it off he beats like the completely superfluous character of king cold also (laughs) very easily so uh yeah i mean he has a great introduction and he is also a very interesting character because he is kind of one of the most tortured in the series in terms of being from a apocalyptic future where a lot of people have died, including a lot of people he's cared about. And so 
you know, going back into the past, like he knows that changing the past is not going to change his timeline. But, you know, he also believes in his mother's belief of creating like a future, you know, free of the tragedy of the androids. And also, you know, he also is really wanting to connect with the fodder he never knew and is kind of disillusioned with the fact that my fodder was actually a terrible person and he has to grapple with you know those feelings of kind of attachment to like wanting to you know know his fodder but also being put into conflict with his fodder's decisions that you know are very uh, consequential uh, but also, uh, yeah, I mean, Trunks has a really great story in the series. I think it's it's definitely helped uh, if when you read or watch the History of Trunks special or bonus chapter, which like delves more into that history. But I think even in the series itself, he's a very interesting character and you understand what he's fighting for and like the hope he's kind of desperate to bring to the past and also bring back with him to the future. But changing the past, he's also hoping to just bring some of that hope, some of that inspiration back with him to help change his future. Yeah, despite the fact that because of how time travel works in the Dragon Ball universe, it's, you know, changing this timeline isn't really going to like affect his unfortunately but it's still it's that it's it's the principal thing like you know he he he, st- he still wants to help goku and everybody which i think is which i think is cool um i i think the thing that stands out to me most about this arc is just like the escalation and evolution of our main antagonists and like how uh, it very infamously editorial has uh sort of interfered in like how how toriyama kind of told certain parts of this story which is interesting yeah well it's worth noting that no one made him necessarily change androids 19 and 20 to 17 and 18 but he you know because Torishima was not his editor at that point which is like the best part of the story <laughs> but his advice is like opinions well you know i think toriyama had had a very trusting relationship with torishima torishima worked with him through dr slump and early dragon ball for many years so you know with torishima is giving him advice i think toriyama was like yeah i I should uh heed his suggestions so i think it's very interesting i guess how the early part of the arc plays out even though it very directly contradicts itself because when trunks comes back into the past he's like in the future the androids who destroyed the future were 1920 but then all of a sudden uh when he comes back again he's like oh wait i don't know who these guys are the the androids were 17 and 18 and they always have been i didn't say 1920 before (laughs) so you know he contradicts himself at several points uh because of that but I think like all the androids have memorable designs, and I definitely I prefer. That, sorry, I definitely prefer seventeen and eighteen's designs over nineteen and twenties. I like nineteens. I think nineteen twenty looks suitably creepy, and they have a great introduction of causing destruction in the city and like impaling people, that's and choking true, people, yeah. and that whatnot. Some of that is pretty good. They're good warm up villains. I, I like them for what they are. I'm glad that they aren't the final thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean. I glad, I'm glad there was an escalation of villains if, instead of just those two villains for the entire arc. So this arc is where I've kind of flipped the most. Uh, when I was a kid, this was my favorite arc. Trunks was my favorite character. I just wanted like the coolest, most badass stuff. I was really into like Gohan's arc and, and all that stuff. And my opinions on the series have sort of 
changed over time, and I've found myself last time I read through the Z stuff, I was pretty surprised that when I got to this part, I was not feeling that into it and not that engaged. And I think I would say that it is actually my least favorite part of the entire series. It's the story, like what we were talking about with the villains and stuff, the story is kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And narratively and, um, I don't know. Cell doesn't do much for me. Sorry, uh, Bomber. Uh, I know. Yeah, sorry, Bomber. And Gohan's arc, I'm kind of conflicted on. I like the drama of it, but I also kind of don't... I kind of like Gohan as uh, a scholar. I like that the idea that somebody can get out of this and just sort of live a peaceful life. Uh, And so I don't feel super, like, jazzed about this idea of, like, a, a kid being thrown into this and being forced to, you know... Uh, you know, th- that that he's pushed to his edge and it's very dark and whatever uh, and becomes the most powerful Super Saiyan or whatever. Uh, that just doesn't quite like appeal to me as much anymore. And I like Trunks still, but he's he's different than he existed in my imagination when I was a kid. And he was this the most badass character. You know, he's he's actually kind of more nuanced than that, which I appreciate. But um, it's not really what I love the series for anymore. No, I, yeah. I I totally agree. Yeah, I like I, like like looking back on this arc, yeah. Like when when I was revisiting it, like there are parts that I like, but like overall, I I don't want to say it's my least favorite, but it it kind of is. Um, yeah, yeah, I I also feel that way. I mean, I might say the first arc I like the least, just because there are parts of it that. You know, the parts we talked about before make revisiting it uncomfortable at times. But in terms of narrative, just as the the storytelling of it, I think that the Cell arc is my least favorite. Because there are a lot of things that it establishes that it doesn't really do anything with. And a lot of ideas that don't really end up paying off. And I do think the end is very satisfying. I think that the payoff would go on kind of makes sense with the buildup given to him uh, in previous arcs. But... Also, he's so removed from the conflict up until that point in this arc that I just thought it it, it is set up like when Goku wakes up from his like uh, coma from the heart attack. And like, it's very clear that his plan from the beginning is to get into the time chamber, the train Gohan to train him up to be the one to beat the oncoming threat. Like kind of rereading the series, I kind of definitely got that sense that that was Goku's plan, like from the moment he wake woke up and assessed the situation and so like there's set up to it but i just it still feels like gohan is very far removed from a story that was very much more kuririn and piccolo and vegeta and trunks's thing and goku uh, in of all the arcs this feels like he's the most removed from what is going on even though like he is kind of the center of the conflict because the androids were created to kill him cell was created to, to kill him it is interesting that Toriyama brings back, you know, the Red Ribbon Army, and that's like that's an interesting idea. Yeah. But like, I like yeah. that they only really do so much with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really just a logo on the androids' clothes. Not much more than that. It's unfortunate. Like, it would have been interesting if maybe like maybe this could have been an excuse to bring back Ader or whatever, and yeah. maybe like maybe they could have turned him into into an antagonist or whatever, and that would have yeah, that I, would have been an inter- interesting conflict 
Yeah, I like that it calls back to him, to Hachan, because he's one of my favorite characters uh, overall. I just really like him, and he's very small, uh, and much smaller. I think that also comes from me imprinting so hard on that anniversary movie where <laughs> he has kind of more of a bigger role. But, like, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I love... I love that, like, something kind of throwaway, like, oh, you know, there was this army and they created an android and it was kind of a, a smaller part of this bigger arc uh, that Toriyama kind of dipped into that and, and pulled stuff to make this whole other a different arc from, uh, I think is neat and cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are a lot of good ideas that I think that in execution didn't quite to come across as well to me like as much as gohan transforming to super sign 2 is like a very important moment for me because like just that kind of the series uh you know i had a lot of firsts with the series with that in terms of my first dvd uh, purchase my first manga purchase but you know the emotional center of that is like 16 is telling gohan you know to let loose his anger and to not be afraid and up until that point, Gohan has not had any interactions or relationship with Android 16 at all. Yeah. Like, we know stuff about Android 16. We know that he loves nature and peace and stuff. But Gohan has never had a conversation with Android 16 until now. And so that for that to be what sets him off into transforming uh, above, like, seeing all the other members, all his other friends, like, getting attacked by Cell Juniors and getting hurt and stuff, like, that is kind of not as strong. And going back to, like maybe incorporating android 8 like i i think a lot of people brought have considered over years but you know android 16 feels very similar in personality and character to android 8 as someone who is generally pacifistic and loves peace even though he is very powerful himself and you kind of wonder if 16 himself is kind of superfluous and if they could have just brought back android 8 and he could have been the linchpin because at least then you know maybe they could have had goku eight and uh go on spend some time during the break before the cell games and even if they didn't do that like go goku has a connection to eight at least and so there's still some connection that could have been transferred to gohan yeah actually it's funny you mentioned that because i was thinking throughout the arc like yeah 16 really does remind me of android eight a lot um and it would have been interesting if like gohan and android 16 could have maybe formed this connection like Goku and eight. Uh, I think that would have been an interesting like parallel almost, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I will say that like Gohan's actual transformation, like I don't think has ever really done much for me, but I think like the, like the more I see it and the more interpretations I see of it, like I, I have, like, we haven't talked about Team Four Star much, but I mean, like, I really like their interpretation of that scene. I actually thought that was really powerful, but, uh, you know, and, and even, and also as well as, like, uh, you know, we, we didn't even mention, like, the really stupid decisions made in this arc, what with, like, yeah. the, like Vegeta is at his most obnoxious in this arc. I cannot stand him. Uh, with him being like, oh, well, you're gonna be more powerful in your file form? Like, okay, I'll let you transform. Like, that at least makes sense because, like, we know that Vegeta is just that arrogant and is always just kind of looking for a fight because he's a Saiyan and that's what how Saiyans are. And, like, that's a little more understandable, even if I don't like that decision. But it, it but it all, but it really comes down to, like, Krillin deciding to spare Android 18. Like, yeah, like, sure, we, we get hints that, like, oh, like, he has a crush on her or whatever because he 
she kissed him or whatever. But, like, I don't feel like that's really enough for him to make that decision to, like, spare her. Like, again, like... He shouldn't have destroyed the remote, no. at the very least. Like, that was a dumb thing to do. Like, in retrospect, again, going back to Team Four Star, I actually really like their rendition of that scene. Like, I feel like, with, with hindsight, the way they wrote that, I think, made a lot more sense. But, uh... Again, this is this is not this is not me saying, oh well, Team Four Star is better than the original Dragon Ball. People should start with that. <laughs> like I, I hate that take so much. Well, another thing it's worth noting is that the entire arc has probably the flimsiest uh, premise of any of the Dragon Ball arcs because, like, right at the beginning, they're like talking about, oh, we know that these androids are coming for years. Why don't we just find Doctor Drone and stop him now? And the logic behind not doing it is like, oh, they haven't done anything yet. So why, I, I do kind of like that from Goku. Like they haven't done anything bad yet like i feel like from goku that makes that makes sense except it doesn't make sense from the other characters the other characters should not have such reservations uh based on what we know about them and also yeah uh in terms of like vegeta again like this is kind of a messy arc in terms of integrating vegeta with the protagonist group like him living on earth uh, him getting a relationship with bulma and and stuff like it's just it's very clear that Vegeta is a popular character, so he has to stick around. But he's also not proven himself to be a good person to these other characters. Like, he has fought against Frieza with them. But there has not been any redeeming sides of Vegeta shown to these characters yet. So, and that he is directly responsible for several of the protagonists dying. So, it is still kind of messy and a little unbelievable that he's just accepted as part of the group and especially because Vegeta frequently causes more problems than he solves in terms of being arrogant letting Cell transform into his final form and just very frequently causing those issues and uh yeah so it's a even though Vegeta is one of my favorite characters I do think that how he's integrated as like a protagonist in the series past the Frieza arc in the Cell arc is like a little tenuous. You know, mm-hmm. everything you guys are saying, these are all the problems I have with the Boo arc, actually. <laughs> 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 Real quick, I th- I, th- I like uh, 18 and Krillin's relationship. I think it's very cute. Yeah. And I think that Toriyama isn't great at writing romance, but for no, what it is... <laughs> I, I like it, and I, I kind of even like the dramatic beat of, of Krillin, like, refusing to blow them up and stuff. Like, I I, uh, uh, I like it. it. It's it's sweet, you know. I think if he were better at writing that kind of thing, I feel like I, I feel like I would like that moment more, or I would be more okay with it, but that's just me personally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the sweetest moment is at the end of the arc when Krillin asks Shenron to wish out the bombs in 17 and 18's bodies, and 18 overhears that, and that's kind of the first, like, real connection that they end up forming, and we can imagine how the relationship there. Thought that was good. But speaking of like uh relationships, Gohan and Videl, probably the best in Dragon Ball in terms oh, of how so the characters cute. interact with each other, how they get to know each other, and then, you know, yeah, how they really grow attached to each other. I do like that relationship a lot. I like the pre boo stuff more than that. Like I would be fine with watching Gohan in high school. Just let Dragon know, Ball end too. with that. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the anime is that they extend the great Simon stuff with more adventures, and I just love that. I I wish that carries through to the entire arc. I was actually really let down that it was over so fast, because again, I've never read the manga, so I was expecting a lot of the same stuff from the anime, but it was just over in the blink of an eye. I'm like, oh. 
Okay, so so the best way to describe the boot arc, and this is my first time like rereading it in ten years, so it's it's like it's like the arc that like I had revisited the least. Um, the the boot arc is basically what happens when you just let Toriyama do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> yeah, and, de- and depending on what kind of person you are, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> and I guess in my case, it's a good thing because I actually really liked it all the way through. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I revisited like the Boo Arc a lot. It's- <laughs> I did not like the Boo Arc, but <laughs> I did oh, not. Well, well, then I guess you don't like fun. But I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I, I totally understand why people wouldn't like the arc because I was actually really afraid of revisiting it because, like, you know, I, uh, my roommate, you know, he he would always watch. Uh, what was it, Dragon Ball Kai, the final chapters, which adapts the Boo arc in a more Kai form, you know, getting rid of all the padding and filler or whatever, or at least whatever you can, but, like, you know, just just watching through stray episodes of that, I couldn't help but think, like, like, I, I feel like I couldn't help but remember, like, man, I remember this arc being, like, all over the place, like, would I really like going through this arc again? Like, I'm not sure, but, like, Re- reading through it again again after 10 years of being away from it like at least in manga form i actually liked it a lot more than i thought i would because it's like you know like i think it's the thing we needed after the cell and android stuff which was so like in in some places really melodramatic and really heavy like stuff that you know we're not really used to seeing from toriyama too often there was very little humor in it. Like, there are some jokes towards the end, obviously including Mr. Satan, like, that he is a comedic character. He provides some great belief. There are a few jokes and exchanges between Goku and Kinkai when he's searching for Planet Namek, like, the great joke of, like, uh, you know, we have a, like, Goku is, like, about to say something. We have this panel of silence, and Kenkai is like, what? But Goku is like, I didn't say anything next yet. And then we have, like, uh, the joke of like king kai interrupting goku and goku interrupting king kai and they're saying hey quit it i'm trying to concentrate so it had some jokes but in general the cell arc was very humorless and the boo arc is kind of returned to form for toriyama in terms of incorporating humor back into the story and just kind of not taking things as seriously even though this is one of the darker arcs in terms of the violence that happens and some of the ideas being explored, especially with the two gunmen, like hunting down people because it's the end of the world. And so they can, they think they can just get away with this violence now because who cares at this point? So it really goes through some dark territories too, which is an interesting contrast. Yeah, I just don't think Toriyama was good at that. <laughs> like I was reading through the blue arc and I was just like, um, I see what he was going for. And it, I don't know, I guess just like it got to the, point like i'm okay with dragon ball ridiculousness like it's part of the fun but i just feel like boo just got to a point where it was just so ridiculous that like my willing suspension of disbelief was gone <laughs> so it was just like and, i think that's i think that's fair, that's and fair. The, and it's the, understandable and then like i i don't know like I, I i get what some of you guys i get your problems with like cell but i mean i guess it didn't bother me so much because i like cell himself but i listening to you all go through the arc Unless your issues with it, I, I can agree with most of them. Man, we we didn't even like talk about Cell because like Cell as a character really like I I don't know maybe it's a hot take but like I don't think he's an interesting character. He's interesting when he's trying to hunt down the androids to absorb them. I think that him being motivated by the desire to become complete makes him very interesting. 
But then once he becomes complete, he just becomes Frieza 2.0, except without any of the other contexts that uh, kind of motivated and made Frieza special. Oh, bummer. What do you like about it? I, I guess just, yeah, it was the hunt of him trying to be, you know, be perfect. And then just mm-hmm. then he is just this like combination of all of these other characters you know, then the fact that, like, it's ridiculous, and I know it is, but the fact that it's not like other villains who's like, all right, yeah, all of you come at me and fight me, he decided to have a tournament instead, which I just found that interesting that he's, like, he's all these characters and he's somewhat thinking like them, too. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I just found that, I, I just found that, like, interesting compared to all the other villains who were just like, all right, yeah, I'm not going to give you guys a fair chance. It's just like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's Dragon Ball ridiculous. And maybe it's just because through all the arcs, like, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. And by the time I got to Boo, maybe if Boo and Cell switch places arc-wise, I might be more okay with Boo. But it just felt like with Boo's arc, like, it's like what Colton said. They just let, oh, it's Toriyama unleashed. And unfortunately, I just, it didn't work well with me because it's like, it did try to be this really super dark arc about, you know, all of these, the end of the world and everything like that. And I'm just like, yeah, but we've, we've lived through the end of the world once already, and everybody was in that, you know, when we just get the Dragon Balls and everybody came back. And it just felt weird to me that they kept making all these sacrifices in Boo Arc, like, yeah, no, we'll, we, we'll, we'll beat Boo and we'll bring everybody back. It's okay if everybody gets killed. It just seems to fly in the face <laughs> of the series, because, like, I kept, I kept reading, like, when I was reading the manga through it, you know. I just kept expecting them to be like, all right, yeah, we should do more work to try to save people. And I get it. I get it. They were, it, there's only so much they could do. I, I understood that. But it was, just, it just felt weird for, to hear Goku saying, yeah, no, we could let all these people die. We can bring them back. I mean, it, it just felt yeah. odd to me. <laughs> yeah. I hear that talked about a lot about how the Dragon Balls kind of deflate tension and stuff like that because you can just bring people back. But like, what I would say <clears throat> in contrast to that for Boo is that, like Toriyama keeps raising the stakes more and more and you know he puts restrictions on what the Dragon Balls can do and then he kind of overwrites those with new Dragon Balls and things like that but like with Boo you know the threat gets so insane which you may just not gel with that it's like the idea is that like there won't be a chance to resurrect people with the Dragon Balls because Boo is going to eventually like go planet to planet and eradicate the entire universe and all of existence basically you know so it just like gets you know it gets like to a very ridiculous point but i feel like the the tension is still there a little bit about like if the heroes can't beat boo there will be no opportunity to like resurrect people with the dragon balls yeah i mean no i i I could get that i guess it's just like boo as a villain doesn't work for me I, I guess if I had to just sum up what does why I don't like the Boo arc, it just Boo is like I liked Fat Boo. Then everything after that, I didn't care for. <laughs> yeah, and then he basically just becomes Cell and just starts absorbing people. Exactly. Like if Cell is a worse Frieza, Boo is a worse Cell. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I think what I I think one of the things I like about Super Boo and Kid Boo though is that there's just a sense of like danger and they are unhinged yeah i mean they are like chaotic in a way that previous villains aren't and that just kind of makes them to me there's like just a more of a sense of tension in, in interactions with the carriers with them because like it's they're walking on a tightrope trying to reason with super boo to get him to wait for just an hour so they can have go fight him and then 
I just kind of like that aspect of him, just like the the, the pure embodiment of chaos that Super Boo and K Boo represent. But Fat Boo, going back to him, like I love Fat Boo so much because I think he's a really interesting uh, villain in terms of like he's very childlike and he doesn't really understand kind of the the consequences of what he's doing. He's just been kind of raised to kill and destroy things and think that's fun. And then after getting to know Mr. Satan and B and he kind of, you know, grows relationships with people that he actually cares about. And so when they get hurt and they die or almost die, that's when he kind of, kind of realizes, Oh, so this is like what it feels to lose someone. This is like the, this is death, and that's what kind of sets him off and causes his mental break into evil boo good Yeah, see, now that part I did, like, that I really liked was the whole thing with, like, even it legitimizes Hercule or Mr. Satan, depending, you know. But I like that it gives, like, up until now, of course, he's supposed to be the gag character, but I love this idea of him being indirectly the guy that saves everyone. <laughs> Mr. Satan saved the world. Like, for <laughs> once, it's, it's kind of like this Usopp thing where he's always bragging about all these things, and then, you know, later on in One Piece, Usopp can now say, yeah, I've actually done this shit. <laughs> like, I like that. Uh, yeah, I actually fought a giant goldfish. Yeah, yeah, I actually like that, and I like that Mr. Satani's just full of all this bluster and everything, but, like, I just like the idea that he can, I mean, he didn't really fight, but it is his relationship with Fat Boo that kept things from being worse than they were, than they could have been, and and I kind of like that idea that you, there's there was this conflict solved without fighting. I, honestly, though, those were some of my favorite parts about the Boo arc was just seeing them hang out with their with their pet dog. And in the anime, there's that great uh, tooth brushing uh, teeth brushing song that he sings, right? And uh, and all the, the the domestic life of Mr. Satan and Boo is is wonderful. Yeah, it really I could is. have easily read another hundred chapters of that. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I I would have been fine with just that. And I love that the anime did add those like added additions. It, it kind of reminded me of old the old Dragon Ball. Like I guess, like I said, it, it just I get that the arcs you know escalate in seriousness, but I think I do like just how silly old Dragon Ball used to be, and that, and I feel like that brought back some of that old kind of silliness, kind of like, I mean, just this sense of Toriyama just having fun with these characters and them being kind of funny, even with, and it goes back to what Joey said earlier about how, you know, when when they were talking about Boo and hyping him up, you expect this like cool looking thing you had cell and you had frieza and everything you expect somebody that looks cooler than them than fat boo comes out <laughs> and it's like oh yeah then it turns out to be a giant pile of bubble gum yeah he's just, <laughs> and, he, and a giant pile of bubble gum that turns people into candy like that like i, I, yeah. I just love that sense of like if the villain of the arc was fat boo and they somehow made that work i probably would be with you guys and saying that boo was my favorite arc but it's just everything after Fat Boo. I just it, it just lost me. Like I, I didn't enjoy it that much. And I think that's fair because like wh while I do enjoy like how so serious the Boo arc tries to be to the point where it, it becomes comedic. Like I, I can understand how like again that was a big fear of mine going into the reading the Boo arc again was that well. You know, am I going to be bothered because of, like, how unfocused the story is? Because it really goes from Gohan being a superhero to the next tournament to them fighting bubblegum <laughs> to them fighting stronger bubblegum that absorbs people. And then the Earth blows up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that this arc changed direction so many different times as Toriyama, like, got tired of what he was doing, decided, you know, I'm going to do something different now. I think it's very evident, especially when they, you know, interact with Bobbity and they go into Bobbity's spaceship and there's a whole set of, like, oh, there's, like, there's there's four levels to this. And they just do the first two and then skip to the Burra. And then from <sighs> there, they skip the Burra and then they have Vegeta become Majin. And they skip that and uh, they have Boo summoned. Like, it's kind of surprising that in the manga you know goku versus majin vegeta there isn't that much of that fight really it's no really yeah. very quickly uh, skipped over for boo showing up whereas and this isn't one like one of those arcs where it, while it is true that this it suffers from a lot of the anime's problems of dragging out fights this is also a, another arc where i think that some of the points where the anime slows it down and expands on things really it helps it in a lot of stretches. And I think like showing more that Goku Vegeta fight and also just the build up to Vegeta making that decision to let Bobbity control him was done stronger in the anime in terms of build up. Mm-hmm. And and the actual the actual sacrifice with Vegeta is probably one of his best moments and is still really heartbreaking because it's like he's especially when like he hugs Trunks like, oh, yeah, I've never hugged you in your entire life here. And it's like, oh, that's that's sad. I have some more mixed feelings about it now just because in story just a little while ago Vegeta murdered hundreds of yeah, people exactly. just to fight Goku. Yeah, that is that was so, kind of like, weird. Like Vegeta is a very complicated character to like because he until like the very end of the series he is a villain. Like he that he just happens to be on the protagonist side. But I do think that sacrifice he makes, that selfless sacrifice he makes, is a big turning point for him. So I do really like that moment in that respect. That, you know, he realizes the consequences of what he's done, and this is a way to atone for it. Mm -hmm. This is one of my favorite arcs to revisit in the anime. It's probably the part of the anime I've seen the most, just because... I really love the um, Great Saiyaman part, which is very easy to kind of watch just a handful of episodes. And I like the stuff with uh, Mr. Satan and Boo living together. So um, and I just love like in the anime, it just like looks really good. Like the color palette is especially bright and bubblegummy. And um, and I like the music and stuff. Uh, but that could be said for the whole thing. But like, yeah, I just I just think it's a really fun arc. Like it's I I think when I was first getting into Dragon Ball, there was common wisdom amongst the fandom that it was the worst arc, and that that like the power levels were like too you know out of control, and like um, the story was a mess, and like all, all this stuff. And then as as my feelings changed i i was like you know what this is actually like a very fun arc and the power levels are out of control because who cares and like <laughs> it's just uh yeah toriyama kind of returning to comedy and returning to some of his an example of him uh trying something out and abandoning it that i actually love is the fact that we start we get a little bit of the budokai um and we get to see how it's changed over the years but then he kind of takes the story like the story is too big to be encapsulated in a fighting tournament so we kind of leave that but we get we get a little bit of uh those antics with 18 and trunks and goten and all that stuff which is very fun um but so i kind of like i like that as showing the way that the the series has grown in a way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um what was i gonna say uh fusion is also a 
big important thing introduced in this arc and I think is probably one of the more interesting aspects of the arc where you have, you know, Goten and Trunks learning how to use it through the dance and then you have the Batara earrings with, you know, fusing Goku and Vegeta as Vegito and, you know, I honestly, that was something else I was afraid of too was like, I was really afraid of going into this arc and that I was going to be annoyed by Goten and Trunks and I will say they they do they do some annoying shit like where <laughs> th- that one particular moment where they're in the uh, they're in the time chamber and you know they're like oh man I actually do have plenty of energy left but I can't let Piccolo know that I gotta build up for dramatic effect. <laughs> no, I think that's great. <laughs> I I love how arrogant they are. Like I I both I both love and hate that moment yeah. because like obviously Piccolo being the smart one is like okay we're fucked I better destroy the door and then Gotenks is like what did you do I was I was joking <laughs> and and then Boom just Boo just screams his way out I admit that was kind of whatever like like I didn't like the like it's my least favorite arc overall but when he did drop the serious pretext and do stuff like that I did like it I I like that one scene where he like. He went to go fight them and then came back in the panel defeated. <laughs> I, I like that, that, that. That's the kind of like it's, it's just a smash cut of, of them. Like, yeah, that, that was pretty good. I, I lo- Gotenks is great. I love all the humor with him. And Gotenks versus Super Boo is a great comedic fight. Like all the gags in that, the ghosts, the volleyball, Donut. just everything is just so fun in that. I feel sorry for Piccolo. Piccolo, I. I'm sure is like is this close to having an aneurysm this entire arc. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one thing that uh interesting to note about Piccolo is that after he merges with Kami, you know, they make a whole thing about no Piccolo, your personality will be the dominant one, but uh I think Kami's personality is dominant after the fusion, considering how reverent Piccolo is of like go- gods like the Supreme Guy and then how worked up he gets over the palace being destroyed. Which is great runner, but it's not something the original Piccolo would care about. No, it's definitely not like at all. very much. This is Ka- the Kami Sama in Piccolo now, who is coming out. Yeah, I never thought about that. Hmm, that's true. I, I didn't. I didn't think about it like that. Cause I was confused about like why he would care about all this stuff. But yeah, you you bring up a good point. Um, and yeah, I mean, like the the, the Boo arc is just so goddamn crazy that like I kind of can't help but love it, honestly. And I th- I think that's 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 like the best way I could sum up this arc. I had more problems than I uh, remember rereading it in terms of like stuff the story does in terms of like kind of contrivances. But I like the spirit of it a lot. And that makes me like it a lot more than the cell arc, which takes itself a little more seriously and also still has some contrivances. Uh, but I and I also think the character resolution for Vegeta is very strong, and I think uh, you know the way the series ends. Even though it is a little disappointing that much uh, point of is made of Goku passing the torch in the arc, only for him to take it back at the end. I think it's very satisfying the way it ends with the spirit bomb of everyone on Earth contributing their energy for Goku to save the day. Like just thematically, it's just such a poignant ending. And again, I. I love how Mr. Satan got to save the universe. L- literally, the world was saved by Satan. Like, one of the best jokes Toriyama has ever written. I, yeah, no, that, that was good. I mean, and one other thing that I liked, I mean, just at the way, way end, is, like, I like that Goku has... I didn't realize it when I, when I was watching anime. I don't know how they handled it but in the dub, but I do like that Goku just saying, yeah, you know... 
my continued existence is a problem for this planet, so train <laughs> someone else to take care of things. <laughs> I, I just kind of like, I mean, it, it probably was just in the sideline Toriyama threw out, so we have a reason to take, a, take in a, you know, understudy, but I just like the way that Goku's just got this awareness of himself, like, yeah, I'm, I'm the problem, not the villains. <laughs> you know, I think ever since I've wa- ever since I watched Super, like I think my favorite, one of my favorite sides to Goku is like when when he's in that mentor pos- uh, position. Mm-hmm. Like I think I, I like I like seeing Goku trying to teach other people to fight. Like I really liked it when he tried to do that with uh, uh, with Kale and Caulifla a little yeah. bit, trying to teach them how to go Super Saiyan and whatnot. And I I really I really liked a lot of him spending time with the kids and trying to teach them how to do stuff. And and then it all comes back in the end with the final tournament and him going off with Oob and whatnot and him, you know, basically passing the torch on to Oob, which I I don't think the original ending is like it's not a bad ending for by any stretch of the imagination, but I I, I do like the the additional couple pages he adds for the Kanzenban ending, which I think really kinda tie that thread like very neatly. Where it's like you 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 get to see you get to see Oob uh or you get to see Goku pass uh Kintoun on to Oob and you know you have that moment where it's like oh it's like when Goku's riding on the cloud or whatever in it and just just that like a uh, like approving look from Goku like yep that's what it's all about like you know, he, <laughs> he, he he's passing it he's literally passing the torch on and like I feel like that's such a like I wish we had a printed version of that ending over here cuz like I feel like that's probably that's probably the most poignant ending besides the ending of GT that I think you could give Dragon Ball. Yeah. Mhm. Yep, and now I've got twenty minutes on Captain Chicken. If you guys want to step in, (laughs) 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 oh man, Uh, we might have to save that for another time, Joey. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So I I will say that we definitely went on longer than we intended to, which means I think I think we're going to have to save Twitter questions for another time. That makes sense. Yeah, we'll meet up at another day to record those, and we'll either we'll either put them in with this episode, or maybe we'll put them in with the episode after this. But we'll we'll get to them eventually. But we spent so much time talking about Dragon Ball, and honestly, like I think we covered as much as we could. Yeah, I mean, Dragon Ball is very dense. I mean, we could have gone to more things. We could have gone on but longer. I think we covered a lot of points. I mean, we really could have. Like, uh, I think that's why there's such a strong community of people dissecting the series and making analysis of it and going through it. I mean, there is a lot to talk about with Dragon Ball and and uh, dissect. But I think, you know, we covered a lot of bases and we shared our memories of like what we love about the series, which I think was a really nice and fun thing to do, you know, to commemorate, you know, 35 five years yet and also you know just how important it's been in our lives mm-hmm, for sure but no yeah for now i think uh, i think we should just wrap up by letting uh bomber and joey go uh th- thank you for staying an extra hour longer than we intended uh we apologize for that <laughs> no problem guys we knew this was gonna be a long one yeah <laughs> yeah all right but uh we'll we'll let you guys plug your stuff and then we'll 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 let you go here so uh here bomber uh thank you for coming on and where can the people find you uh you can find me at kirobon k i i r o b o n on twitter uh lately i've been hitting a lot more of the jump news but that's usually not what i do so don't 
go there expecting that. <laughs> if you really want to know, if you really want to see the news side of me, that's at WSS Talkback on Twitter. And I talk about Shonen Sunday, the other Shonen magazine that's in Goku Shadow. <laughs> um, and I also have a blog at WSSTalkback.blogspot.com. And I'm hoping to have a Shonen Sunday retrospective before the end of the year, which going to have to get started on that soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you're interested in learning about Shonen Sunday outside of Detective Conan or whatever Rumiko Takahashi is doing, uh, I hope that you'll, you know, stop in and learn a few things. Mm-hmm, for sure. And Joey, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking about Dragon Ball with us. Uh, where can people find you? I'm at Joey Weiser on Twitter or Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram, Joey Weiser Comics. Um, and uh, yeah, please follow me. I'll talk a lot about whatever various comics and cartoons I'm watching and stuff. Um, and please read my graphic novels, the Merman graphic novel series. Uh, there's five volumes of that. And Ghost Hog just came out earlier, uh, came out in 2019. And, um, yeah, and, and keep an eye out for news on that. And please listen to Toho Yaro, my, uh, Japanese film club podcast that I co-host with Alex Kazanis of the One Piece podcast and our friend Scott where we talk about Japanese film and we kind of rotate hosts for whoever um, wants to talk about whatever the movie is that we are covering that, that episode. So, and you can follow Toho Yaro on Twitter as well for Japanese movie news and, and tidbits about um, our podcast and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and also go look at Joey's uh, old uh, Dragon Ball illustrations. Uh, we, we kind of mentioned it earlier at the top of the show here, but uh you were very ambitious in uh, trying to draw as many Dragon Ball characters as you could with your daily Dragon Ball project, and uh, we'll definitely be leaving a link to that in the show notes for people who want to check that out. Yeah, dailydragonball.tumblr.com, or if you're on Twitter, you can search for a character's name and uh, hashtag dailydragonball, uh, all one word. And as long as we spelled the character's name the same, it'll pop up. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, but no, yeah. Again, th thank you guys for coming on, and uh, yeah, Lum. I think we should just wrap up the show. Mm -hmm. Thanks once again to Joey and Bomber for coming on the show to discuss Dragon Ball with us. Of course, we're not done discussing Dragon Ball with them because we have our Q and A podcast where we've got an additional two hours of Dragon Ball talk. Uh, to discuss the series with them and look forward to that. But for now, I think that does it for our epic Dragon Ball conversation. We had a lot to talk about, but we couldn't cover like everything in detail just because of the scope of the series and our own time constraints. And that actually brings us to a Q&A, a little listener question about another series retrospective we did a few years back that we just wanted to shout out. We got this from Randall, who says that they really enjoy the podcast, and they were wondering, now that the B-Rank Wars have finally finished in the World Trigger manga, would we do another podcast or segment on it? Now, we actually covered uh, the Galapula invasion, which they mentioned in this email, on that episode, since we had, you know, read through what chapters were available at the time, which was about the first 160 chapters, but it is true, you know, the B-Rank Wars are not finished. World Trigger was still on hiatus when we had done that podcast, so I think it would be nice to revisit World Trigger at some point down the line. Probably not 
anytime soon, but this is something that I would like to do with some series that we've covered in the show that weren't finished, is that we revisit them when we're done and see, like, how they fully played out. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think I agree with that. Uh, I think as as excited as I am to hear that the B rank wars are in fact like done. Um, I still haven't caught up with World Trigger, but I do plan on it at some point. Uh, I I agree. I think maybe we should wait until maybe the series is done, possibly. Because uh, I I feel the same way about other stuff we talked about in the podcast before, like with like My Hero Academia, and uh, you know even stuff like. Uh, like Tokyo Ghoul, I don't think. I mean, the first Tokyo Ghoul series, I think, was done when we first covered that. But yeah, yeah. But you only read the first volume, and I read half of it, which was what was available at the time in English. Yeah. So there, there are plenty of series we've talked about on the show that uh, that we definitely want to revisit at some point. In, in general, I, I kind of brought it up at the beginning of the show, but with with these like longer series, I think personally, I because there are some episodes of the show where we cover a whole series, where I look back and I think like, oh man, if I forgot to bring up this thing, and I did, I didn't even mention this other thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I I think I think GTO is the one I feel that way the most about because I could have said way more about that series in particular. But yeah, no, just just in general, I think um, I'm really wondering if covering an entire series arc by arc is feasible for certain things like, you know, whether like, you know, for instance, if we get to stuff like Bleach and Naruto, like, I just don't think that'll be feasible, honestly, unless we want to do like multi-part podcasts, which we're, we're still kind of in the talks about like how we want to cover those series in particular. We still kind of need to figure out what to do with those because I do want to get to those at some point. Um, maybe possibly Bleach now that, like, the anime's coming back, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think for longer series, I think, you know, depending on, depending on the series, we might just have to be okay with, like, covering highlights, maybe. I mean, unless people really want us to cover everything. I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's just so much manga out there to talk about, but... I think that if the opportunity arises, we'll definitely love to revisit series that we've covered before. I mean, not, not that I think about it, that's kind of part of the reason we have stuff like the Manga Mavericks Book Club on our Patreon now. So that way, you know, in case there's more that we want to say, we can go back and actually cover series more in depth. So I think it's good that that exists now. Indeed. But speaking of the Manga Mavericks Book Club... Uh, yeah, that's right. So, uh, I guess while we're on the subject, um, so by the time this episode is out and you're listening to it, uh, we do have a new episode out. Again, we are still going through Saint Seiya from Masami Kuramata with my good friend from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast, uh, Doctor. Uh, both he and I are reading through it for the first time. And uh, by uh, by the time this episode of the podcast is out, uh, the next episode should be out where we are covering uh, f volumes five and six in particular. We're doing uh, two volumes an episode. And uh, yeah, so, you know, if, if you're interested in that and you still haven't uh, and you still haven't started listening to that series, uh, it is up on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. I, I did say it on that episode, but uh just to kind of put it out there, uh, we are going to be taking a, a a bit of a break from the Manga Mavericks Book Club, just because uh, we have two bonus podcasts coming up down the pipeline that aren't necessarily a part of the Manga Mavericks Book Club series. Uh, but uh, 
Well, we'll 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 get to that when we get to that. We we have a few uh, we have a few special reviews lined up that we wanted to uh, get back to. Uh, sp- speaking of speaking of stuff we've covered on the podcast before, we're going to be uh, revisiting uh, certain certain series that we talked about before. But again, we'll talk about more of those, I guess, when it gets uh, closer to the time. But just to kind of let everybody know that the Manga Mavericks Book Club is going to take a short break, but we'll be back after about a month or two. I think it's a good time to take a small break since you've just finished kind of the first like big arc and then you're kind of taking a break between that and the sanctuary stuff. So I think this is actually pretty good timing. Yeah, no, it it, it feels like we're really transitioning from one part of the story to another. But uh, again, if you want to hear us talk more in detail about that, again, that's uh, you can sign up for the $5 tier on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Mavericks. So that's about it for that. Um, and then I guess, uh, do we have anything else we want to mention uh, before we end the show? I mean, Dragon Ball is such a vast topic that there's so many different areas to discuss it so many different topics to explore and so for our community shout outs we just want to highlight a lot of great creators discussing dragon ball making dragon ball content that we really enjoy of course we had joey on the show we have to shout out his daily dragon ball project where he drew dragon ball characters every day like in his own style it was just a really really fun project and i love how he reinterpreted several characters. It was super cool. We gotta link to that. You gotta check it out. And of course, you know, the most comprehensive Dragon Ball fan site and resource there is, is Konzenshu. A lot of information that we brought up on the show comes from Konzenshu, comes from time spent reading their articles on there. They have incredibly comprehensive guides. One of my favorites is their intended endings guide where they kind of dissect all the rumors of where people speculate, hey, is this where Toriyama planned to end the series? Is this where he planned to end the series? And then goes through and evaluate the likelihood of those claims, debunk rumors. In fact, the rumor guide is also really excellent for doing that too. But they also have animation guides and a ton of other incredible resources on there. And they're actually working on a Dragon Ball wiki that is going to go even further. And in relation to that, I want to recommend Consent podcast which is Consensu the podcast where recently they've been talking about a lot of the stuff they've been working on on their wiki in fact in their most recent episode they revealed some really fun tidbits about how Amand one of Telus's henchmen in the tree of might has a connection to the galactic patrol and in fact that character might and his backstory might, in fact, be the origins of the idea of the Galactic Patrol, as we know it now in later Dragon Ball, which is really fascinating. And oh, the wow. work they do there is just incredible. So if you want to really go deep into learning more about the Dragon Ball world, you got to follow Consentu and the work those fine folks are doing, because it is just incredibly impressive. I'll, I'll put it this way. If if you are a fan of Dragon Ball at all, and you're not following Konzenshu in any form, what are you doing? You, you were, you're like, you're seriously missing out on a lot of really cool stuff. 
Indeed. And in terms of people who do a great job of like discussing the source material in depth, if you feel that we kind of glaze over some parts of the series in our discussion, I highly recommend Mystere Fusion's Dragon Ball Day section, which is by far personally my favorite Dragon Ball analytical series uh, that I've ever watched, where Mystere Fusion... He goes through every arc in a series of parts. He really looks at the manga, at Toriyama's storytelling, and picks it apart. And he also notices some fun, you know, continuity goofs. He also makes some interesting speculation and points about why certain story beats happen. And he really recontextualizes like how events play on the series in a really fascinating way i absolutely love his videos even though there are some arcs where he is not as fond of that i really enjoy i still always see where he's coming from and his critiques are always spot on so it is just incredibly incredibly thorough analysis the best of its kind but on another side of Dragon Ball analysis and appreciation, I highly recommend Anime AJ's videos dissecting and looking at Dragon Ball animation and the animes behind Dragon Ball. They did an incredible series where Dragon Ball Super was running of animation breakdowns for every episode that was incredibly informative and educational on the different styles of the various animators working on Dragon Ball and how their touches all coalesce to make such memorable episodes and the difference between really good animation and animation that just doesn't leave an impact. Like Anime AJ's videos are really excellent animation analysis. And especially in the context of Dragon Ball, you will learn a lot by watching those. And in terms of creators who make just really fun Dragon Ball content, again, Team Four Stars Dragon Ball Z Bridge is a series that, you know, I have a lot of fond memories of. And if you haven't watched it, you know, it is a really great love letter to series. And I also want to shout out their new project, Underbridge, which I'm really enjoying, which is kind of like a mockumentary style take on the idea of a bridge reviewers think about it like the office but about a bridgers it's really funny that they just play hide it exaggerated versions of themselves i really enjoy that and i also want to shout out totally not mark's videos he also does some really a oh, variety of interesting stuff like he does some of my favorite videos that he's done are like character analysis videos where he looks at like what makes Goku an interesting hero and Regina an interesting foil to Goku. He also did a series called the Power Level series before like the Tournament of Power started in Super where he like evaluated like the relative strength of the characters, which was really interesting. Like he's done a lot of variety of really fun Dragon Ball videos. So I enjoy his stuff too. And of course podcasts on the series that I really enjoy and we've shut it up before I think all systems Goku I really wish they'd come back and cover more but like they covered all Dragon Ball Kai and it's still a really really fun podcast if you haven't listened to it and also I want to recommend Ballin' Out Z previously formerly known as Ballin' Out Super which is half a leftist politics podcast and half like them riffing on Dragon Ball Super and now Dragon Ball Z as they started that so it's a lot of fun too if you want like those two mixes together and also uh to address some topics that we talked about on the show in terms of you know some of the more problematic aspects of dragon ball like 
Bulma's sexualization in the early parts and stuff, but also some of the positive aspects of Dragon Ball, like some of like the good lessons it has to say about like you know healthy masculinity and stuff. Like there are two articles on anime feminists that I'd like to recommend in conjunction with each other. First is the, uh, my favorite problematic post on Dragon Ball, which addresses like a lot of the criticisms that we also talked about in regards to Bulma and Toriyama's early perverted humor. And then there is also a piece called How Dragon Ball Z Help You Fight Back Against Toxic Masculinity, which addresses some of the points that we also sort of touched on, but I think this piece really does really beautifully like articulate like Dragon Ball's positive messages and healthy messages and like what it kind of inspired us so yeah i really like both of these pieces i like that both of these perspectives are like out there so i want to recommend those and then finally just because dragon ball is definitely tied into this larger history of jump uh, i actually just finally got around to listening to a shonen jump podcast from a few months back uh episodes 349 where they kind of went into the history of shonen jump they had on jason thompson they had on hisaki sakaki and yeah it's really really awesome podcast where they just talk about kind of the history of jump in japan and in the u.s you know they share a little few anecdotes about toriyama it's uh really educational informative and a lot of fun to listen to so i just wanted to throw that in there it's like an additional not specifically dragon ball thing but definitely related to the larger context of dragon ball's place in history so yeah a lot of shout outs but you know for dragon ball a lot of shout outs are definitely warranted because there are a lot of great creators in the space there are even more we could mention probably but these are just some of my favorites and uh, the ones i really really recommend you check out if you haven't oh yeah i mean i i, I think you pretty much covered the gamut as far as i'm concerned um one thing about totally not mark i want to mention is uh he's done a great series of review videos basically covering every arc in dragon ball super uh that i've been uh keeping up with um i don't think i've watched his last video just yet i'm planning on that soon but uh yeah i thought he did a really great job going through all of dragon ball super and uh kind of talking about it basically episode by episode and arc <laughs> by arc uh just kind of talking about you know what's great about every episode what's not so great about every episode uh and about the arcs as well so again if you plan on checking out totally not mark check out his dragon ball super stuff because the super stuff is pretty good too but uh that's basically my two cents because again I, I i think i think you covered every just about everybody i i i follow in particular pretty beautifully actually so uh yeah i think that's about it um are we finally done talking about dragon ball probably not no we're not i mean we have an additional <laughs> two hours plus next week for you to listen to i mean that's right i i guess i just meant in general but uh but yes for this episode i think we are finally finished and like goku we can now go off until our next adventure yep the manga mavericks adventures are never over mm -hmm. as long as there are dragon balls the manga mavericks podcast will always exist yes all right but i think we should finally just end the show by plugging our stuff in particular lum you can start first you can find me at LumRamayasha on Twitter and it's LumRamayasha on a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Annulus. Wherever there's a LumRamayasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on all-comma.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so check out all-comma.com for more manga reviews on there. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. 
Uh, I also host and produce a few other podcasts on my own, such as uh, Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, and One Podcast Prevails, uh, a show that I do with my friend, uh, Doctor, where we cover the Detective Conan slash Case Closed Manga. Uh, and you can find links to all the, all these shows and more over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, that's basically where I have links to whatever podcasts I'm doing, including those. And so, yeah, uh, basically, just to move on to all comic and manga mavericks, uh, we post every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast on all-comic.com first, uh, unless you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where if you sign up for the $2 tier, you basically uh, get early access to uh, to podcasts, uh, depending on when we have those edited and done. You know, if we if we happen to have a podcast edited early, we'll post it up on there for people to listen to, you know, before anyone else. So again, you can uh, you can listen to our early podcast for just $2. And uh, I also mentioned the $5 tier earlier where we post a bonus podcast at the end of every month. Again, we are going through Saint Seiya on the Manga Mavericks Book Club. We just published uh, volumes uh, five and six, if you guys want to listen to those. Uh, seriously, if you're not listening to us talk about Saint Seiya, you should really start up on that. I'm having a lot of fun going through that series for the first time. And so, yeah, you can basically find all this and more at uh, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, but as for all comic in particular, uh, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we have different excerpts of, uh, of the show up, including different news stories and reviews, uh, even including some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, also, if you want to send us an email like Randall did, uh, you can email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on Dragon Ball? And uh, what are some arcs that you think we should have covered more in depth? Um, you know, uh, just email us anything about whatever manga we're reading, whatever manga you're reading, uh, especially uh, anything about the podcast, uh, really just anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. And we will read it on the show. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever this podcast is available. Um, it really helps the visibility of our show. really helps us get out to more listeners. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it just we, we just appreciate it in general. So uh, please do so if you have the time. And, uh, yeah, that's really going to be about it for this episode. Again, this was, a, this was a really fun one. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, this has been episode 118 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on all-comic.com, and we will see you guys next time for episode 119. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!